Well, are you ready? Everybody? We got an exciting afternoon. Sit back. Enjoy the ride. <laughs> um, this past year, at are we about ready? About ready, everybody? Okay. All right. This past year in ICUB, we've done a variety of different things. We started out last year, right after the convention, going to um, the Transportation Summit. Many of us went there and participated. And uh, in June... In June, we went to two uh, vision loss resource fairs. We were invited by the Iowa Department for the Blind. And I would like to thank Lori Trujillo for all the hard work she did on uh, not just pushing me to help us get a booth together, because she did a lot of the booth. Her and Kat, they, they, they put this booth together, and it looks great. So here's a big hand for Lori and Kat. <laughs> to get to those vision loss resource fairs, Alan Dunkerson um, was our driver, and we had several people who went to them. Um, the second one, which was over in Council Bluffs, Sandy went, and Alan and I, and we were able to eat at this cool little mom-and-pop, you know, restaurant, Dixie Picks. <laughs> and um, then we did two more. Well, yeah. We did um, another vision loss resource fair in Sioux City, and that was in October. And then we did another one in Oskaloosa. And all in all, I think we probably got several names from uh, those vision loss resource fairs and talked to people about ICUB, about blindness, and one important element of the last two fairs was to show an accessible voting machine, which we borrowed from the Woodbury County Auditor's Office and from the Mahaska County Auditor's Office, and they, they, let, they came and set it up and let us use it and show blind people how they work. So uh, many people did not even know that those existed, and it was a good thing that we did that. Uh, it, we went to White Cane Safety Day last year, uh, walked in the walk that they had, and we were invited to go to Dubuque, and I was asked to speak at the Dubuque banquet. There were 61 people present in Dubuque, and many of us, uh, what, how, many, how many people went, what, what is it, 15 people went from Des Moines up there? It was great, plus people from Waterloo were there, people from Vinton, from Cedar Rapids. It was a wonderful experience for all of us. And it, it was a lot of fellowship, and, you know, we had a good time, and, and we learned a little bit more about each other. In addition to those um, activities. ICUB has been present at 
all of the commission board meetings this past year. Last June, September, December, and again in March. Um, we have also uh, been working on House File 235 with uh, Rob Taylor and Jim Witte we, and Catherine have been quite instrumental in talking to Rob Taylor about that. And I don't think we would have gotten as far as we did, even though it didn't get, you know, didn't get passed if it weren't for Jim and Catherine. So here's it to Jim and Catherine. And hopefully we'll be going back again next year. But also I think we need to send a message to Rob Taylor and say thanks to him for all he did in trying to help us get that passed. It might not have worked now, but, you know, there's next year, and, and we may get it done. But a lot depends on what happens at the Commission for the Blind Board meeting coming up in May, too. Um, in addition to that, we did the Braille Challenge. Yes. We attended the Iris Gala and contributed money. We contributed money to the Braille Challenge. We contributed money to the Elizabeth Perosky Workshop. And we attended the Valentine's Day party at Vinton. There were 36 people there, and we were able to speak about our convention and things that were coming up this year. Uh, we talked a little, so recall we talked about House File 235, and there were just a lot of people there that we seldom see in other, other places. So it was a real good experience to do that as well. And I'm trying to remember if there's anything that I forgot that we did this past year. Can, can I tell them about giving out another Braille? Oh, yes. And I'd like to introduce Mike on as part of my report to talk about something that's near and dear to his heart and to his family. Thanks. I just... Um, well, as most of you know, I think we, um, through a partnership between our family after my mother passed away and ICUB, we uh, donate a, a Perkins Brailler each year um, to a K-12... Whoa! I think that means back up, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> to a, a K-12 student here in Iowa, and I'm proud to say that Tyler was one of our early recipients. when he was in... We were trying to decide if it was first or second grade, but anyway... Um, <laughs> He's come a long way since. <laughs> um, and so the, the award criteria basically are that people are, that the students are uh, likely to use the Braille Rider, that they show a concern for others, and that they are interested in furthering their education. Um, our goal is to have, where did it go? There we go. I'm going to move it up. There we go. Um, our goal is to have the award, to present the award, uh, as a part of the ICUB convention because it's really neat to see the students and the family members be able to connect with um, ICUB members. But unfortunately, um, this year it didn't work out because the, our convention happens to be the same week as, weekend as the um, Spring Institute in Vinton. So 
um, the mom was really torn. And I said, you know what? The kids get so little time to spend with other blind kids. Go to Vinton. So I'm sorry, and they did. Um, so I had actually the opportunity to, to present the award um, the day after the gala. So it was quite a two-day um, event for, for me. And um, this year's winner uh, is from Dexter, Iowa. She's a second grader named Kayla Bartholomew. And she is a, a bright girl. It just goes to show um, we, what her teachers were sharing that at age one, before they really started early intervention, she just kind of lay on the floor and not really be involved in anything. And now she's uh, articulate, bright. Um, I was really excited because she decided that writing on the Braille Writer was, was higher priority than a donut. And I mean, you know, for a second grader, man, that made me pretty happy. So... Anyway, I'm sorry that we weren't able to award it in person at, at the convention. Hopefully, I talked to Steve Gettle this morning, and we'll try to find out as soon as we can when their convention or when their event is next year because maybe we could, you know, not only because of the Brailler Award, but maybe we can work on getting some of those other families to, um, to come here and, and plan some activities for them. So anyway, I just wanted to share, share that, and um, I know many of you are, um, extremely supportive of the award, and please, please remember and know that these, uh, the, the funds and just your support's going to some some great young minds that are, you know, Tyler's a perfect example of how when we can provide this and and then really continue to stay in contact. And Tyler and Kim did, did that um, through the years that we're 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 moving in a great direction. So thanks. couple more events to talk about last year. Oh, oh, I forgot one of the biggest things almost. What is it, three newsletters, Norma, this past year? We did three great newsletters this year, Norma and Don, editors, and we were able to stop producing them on cassettes. People are now able to just subscribe to them at the Library for the Blind and get them on cartridge. And maybe there's some other issues with it, but we're still doing good. We're, we're coming along on our newsletters. And, um, you know, the, you get them in email, and you can get them in print. You can get them on cartridge. The There's... Um, last year we went to the National Convention in Dallas of ACB, and I know that my report was published in um, our bulletin. And if anybody ever wants to see the full report, because it's 27 pages long. <laughs> but it was a big convention. That's what I keep on telling Norma. It was a big convention, Norma. <laughs> she says, but you don't have to write everything. And so um, I do have it if, if anybody ever wants to look at it. I, I can also tell you that those convention um, sessions, the general sessions, and many of the others are archived on ACB radio. And so you can listen to them as well. And they were very, very good. So I, I'm not, because I don't remember a lot of what happened last July, <laughs> um, I'll talk a little bit about our mid year, midwinter a mid-year conference and uh, legislative meeting in Washington, D.C. Well, actually, it was Alexandria, Virginia. Because of 
ICUB uh, and the, the generosity of ICUB and one of our members who donated many, many uh, miles of air travel. Five of us were able to go to the Midwinter Conference and share two rooms and be part of that Midwinter Conference. And I'm sure that they'd all like me to thank you for that, too, because it is because of the funding that we received um, for doing that. And I have a report uh, from the Midwinter Conference that it's, it's in pieces, but it's, gotta get, it's just going to get put together, and I can describe a little bit of it for you now. Um, the first day that we were there, which was a Friday, we went to a... No, it was a Saturday. We went to a board meeting. And um, many things were discussed at the board meeting. A lot of technology, uh, some stuff related to funding, and, you know, um, oh, things like changing the vendor for car donations and that kind of thing. But one thing I took away from it that was really quite interesting is that there is a new app coming out. And Jeff, you can probably tell me if it's out yet. It's a Disney app. And what this does is you can... Um, or it is out. And, and eventually you'll be able to take this app to the movie theater with you on your smartphone. And you'll be able to uh, activate the app. It starts listening to the movie and it does audio description. And eventually, I asked, I asked if it was going to work with TV, too, and they said, yeah. Oh, and it works with TV. Uh, see, that's, that is really, really cool. So, I mean, that's new stuff that's coming down and being brought to, to us from the work of consumer groups. I think you would. You'd need, you'd need headphones. Yep. 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 Um, and I, I just thought that was such a cool thing. And we traveled around, you know, the five of us went out to dinner and, you know, enjoyed um, walking on the funky sidewalks there. They've got these, what, what kind of, odd paving stones and your cane gets caught in them and cobblestones. Yeah. And uh, that was a lot of fun. And let's see, on uh, Sunday was the president's meeting, and there were a multitude of things discussed there uh, in the area of communications. The focus was on, like, ACB radio, and it was on uh, the fact that um, ACB forum is going to be put on, on cartridge, no longer on cassette, and uh, we talked about Facebook, we talked about Twitter, and we talked about BITS, which, is, which stands for Blind Information Technology Specialists. And they will teach somebody in our affiliate to use Twitter and to use Facebook as a page in, and set it up and, and work with it so we can have more access to youth out there in our community and throughout the state. So I think that's something we've got to look at in a big way here. Um, 
there was a lot of talk about funding, in, including grantsmanship. We are eligible to get at least in one hour of grant writing assistance from ACB, and that includes tips and you know helping us match up with foundations and stuff like that. And they talked about different kinds of funding that ACB does, which includes things like um, the Brenda Memorial, Brenda Dillon Memorial Walk, which raised over $52,000 last year at the National Convention, half of which could go to affiliates if your affiliate was part of that walk. Uh, the ACB auction, uh, there's the Braille Forum raffle, and that's the big one where you pay 50 bucks a ticket and you can win, you know, $5,000. Um, there's holiday auctions. There's all, all kinds of other things like direct mailing. And there's a thing called MMS, which is like monthly monetary support. And half of that can go back to your state affiliate or whatever affiliate you would like. Um, and it's an automatic, you know, take out of your... Uh, checking account type thing. And there's a Tupperware party and, oh, God, um, when I give the report to Norma, you'll be able to see more in the bulletin. So we talked about, we talked about some of that. Um, there was a speaker on, his name was Matt Hanley, and he was talking about the 21st Century Communications and Video Act. And Jeff talked about that at lunch, and I think that is going to impact us in a big way. And, and more than just television and, you know, emergency broadcasting, but how many of you know how to find that and, and know what that SAP is that we were talking about, the secondary audio programming? Who knows what that, where that is on their, their television set or on their cable box? I can't find it. God, I, I can hardly even tell if my television's on anymore. <laughs> it's so quiet, you know? And then you went, is that thing on, you know? Um, so, so with this act, it would make sure that people were able to find that SAP because that is what is going to enable people to do audio description as well as receive emergency broadcasts. There are other things that are in the act, such as website accessibility. I can tell you right now, in addition to the um, sam.gov website, the YMCA website was not accessible, and I don't know that it is now. I know its app is, but um, there are... You could, you could use Clearwater, Coldwater Creek, kind of. It was... It was okay, but you're never quite sure what color you're getting for sure if you're ordering clothing, you know. <laughs> um, hopefully that will become more accessible. And there are others out there that many of us have experienced. Then there is equipment accessibility. Things like... Well, a washing machine. You have washing machines now with these flat panels in the back. So I went to buy a washing machine the other day. Well, not the other day, about four months ago. <laughs> and um, there was a mechanical one there, and I thought, well, I'd like that mechanical one, but, you know, 
They might not make, be making parts anymore. Anybody ever feel like that? You know, if you buy something, it's gonna, you're not going to be able to repair it. So I, I was looking at one of the electronic ones, and doggone it, that thing beeped every time you hit a button and everything. It was a flat panel, and I thought, man, this is cool. I'll be able to mark this thing. I'll be able to put tape on it or little locator dots, braille, whatever I wanted to put on it. And then I thought to myself, let me just check one more thing. And that was, does it go back to a default setting? <laughs> nope. <laughs> so I, I, I asked the, the salesman, he says, I don't know. And I said, well, you mean... I can't, we can't set it back to like a zero, to a large, to a this, to a that. He says, no, I don't think so. And I said, well, what if we unplugged it? So I unplugged it, and it stayed at, you know, small load, permanent press, da-da-da. So that means you would have to remember what you had it set at last. Now, if you do wash once a week or twice a week, are you going to remember that? No, no. It would be great to have that thing accessible. And that's the kind of stuff they're making nowadays. I have a refrigerator at home. When people come into my house, they say, your refrigerator is blinking E1. And I'm thinking, oh, God, I've got to reset it now. <laughs> I don't know how long it's been blinking E1, the blinking refrigerator. And so we need to have stuff that's accessible to us that we can use, especially things that we need to use to keep clean, to store food, to, you know, to cook food, um, or do physical activities like in the gyms at the YMCA and all this other stuff. And that is really, really important. And hopefully with this communications bill, we'll be, we will be able to use that kind of stuff eventually. Maybe they'll be making these products so that they will be more accessible. And this is a very important thing to each and every one of us who has a household. I understand. You got it. Been there. Exactly. That's exactly the problem with this stuff. And so we really need that kind of accessibility, and we need to make sure that that stuff gets done. And, and you know, it's not like the technology's not out there. It's there. And, and I don't think it's that expensive to make this stuff work for us. So we talked about that. Um, we talked about some uh, other... Other things like, um, you know, keeping our organization uh, in its 501c3 status. You know, it's a uh, tax-deductible, you know, non-tax corporation status. Um, we talked about, you know, things like membership and how to how to keep track of membership and that kind of thing. There was a lot of stuff involved in the president's meeting, uh, including remote voting. They were talking about at the, at the uh, 
national convention that they would like to see a more democratic process where people who were unable to attend the convention could vote on issues there through remote voting. And they're looking into that as a possibility for voting over the telephone or voting online, but it's going to cost like three bucks a vote. But we're not sure how that's going to go. So some of that went down. Um, It was a very good meeting. And then on Monday, the legislative seminar focused on some bills. Uh, Already we've talked some about the Cogswell-Macy Act, which uh, goes after states for not being accounting properly the blind kids that are in their states and making sure that they get good support services that are appropriate to their needs. And um, that's one of the things that this act is designed to do. It's also designed to make sure that um, parents and other supports teachers, teachers' aides, get support and get make sure they have appropriate training for teaching blind kids and making sure that uh, blind kids get not only the 3R type of training, but they also get training in, in blindness and in skills of blindness, like cane travel and, and you know, incidental things like make it a peanut butter sandwich and stuff like that. Um, so that was discussed. Um, the Marrakesh Treaty, which would be passed by two-thirds of the... I believe it's only the Senate that passes treaties. It's an Intellectual Property Act. Currently, um, there, are, there are copyright laws that can be problematic and violated if texts, even if they're accessible, are, are shared between countries. And so that would, that act would help eliminate that, as well as create a database of shared, accessible books across the world. And we need that. We need to knit this world together a little bit better. So, and I guess one thing they said is that there's only 5% or 5% of the material throughout the world is in, that's in print is in an accessible format for us. That's not a lot. That means 95% we're missing out on. We, we talked about what's happening with transportation with some people from the Department of Transportation Um, There are five areas that they're focused on, one being um, timeliness and access to assistance in airports for people who are blind or for people who are, and or for people who are in wheelchairs. Um, The loss or uh, breakage um, of assistive devices, and I'm thinking that's like with your cane or something like that. Um, seating next to bulkheads, you know, in an appropriate place in the airplane. Um, and there was a lot of discussion about uh, making sure that people are properly trained to provide good assistance. Right now, there's a lot of people who give assistance who can't speak English. 
And so it's difficult to understand what they want you to do. So that, that, was, that was another thing. Um, so they're coming down with some rules and some training for these people. They were also talking about some things related to using guide dogs on air carriers. And, you know, the size or where to put the dog. Because apparently now there's an electrical box under the seat where a dog used to be able to fit. And now the dog, you know, if you've got a bigger dog, it probably can't even fit under there, that poor little thing. And that would be very uncomfortable if you were going from here to Hawaii. Well, anyway. Um, we discussed those things. We discussed um, thinking that's close to it. I know I'm missing something. I would like to know if there are any questions about the report. Uh, Sip, this is Tyler. And yeah. uh, I'd like to ask you a little bit more on that uh, that textbook uh, law or act or whatever you were talking about there. Uh, what One thing that I think that we need to do a little bit better job of advocating for is uh, to get reach out to like uh, universities and and uh, colleges and stuff like that make them aware that it's not easy to get materials adapted and i was thinking that maybe what icub could work on is uh possibly you know reaching out to a few of these you know colleges even around here and just making them aware you know and and explain to them that this act is in progress you know it's happening now I mean, is that, a, is that a good idea? Well, I think that the ADA and Section 504 covers accessibility of textbooks and stuff. Is that right, you guys? Sandy, do you know? Yeah, the Rehab Act. I, I think it's the Rehab Act. It, it, it covers that stuff. And... No, no, that's right. Oh, That it, the, the bill or the, the treaty that Jeff and Sip were talking about, Tyler, just to kind of clarify, has to do more with international sharing of materials and copyrights. And so that so many people and, you know, we, we struggle with our textbooks and so forth here, but we at least have systems in place. You know, there are parts of the world where, you know, things have already been produced in a number of accessible formats here but that they they cannot um, be be shared internationally or in parts of the world, and I'm probably giving a very simplistic view. But isn't that kind of what the general concern is of that, that this treaty is trying to address? And and that's very true. And Tyler, um, having been to college myself, and a lot of us have been around. I mean, there, and I'm not going to say we shouldn't have textbooks that are accessible because I think we should. But there are places where we can get them. Learning Ally, for one, uh, using readers, Department for the Blind. Uh, you, you can get them in many places. And so I think if, uh, if you're not familiar with some of them, it's a good thing to start looking into because you might be going on to school in another area, too, and it would be helpful to you. Um, that's my report, and... In the words of 
Elsie Monty, and who said it first? I'm sticking to it. Yes, so Norma. Hi, Norma. I got a big wig span. I just wanted to make one comment going back to um, searching for uh, washers, dryers, uh, appliances, and things. Um, I want to remind everyone of the online magazine called Access World. It's produced by the um, American Foundation for the Blind, AFB.org. They do reviews of um, different appliances and let you know. um, They talk about, you know, could this be used by somebody with no vision? Um, Could it be used by somebody that can use some vision? That kind of thing. And, you know, it may not have they may, they may not have reviewed a specific model but you're looking at but you might get an idea of what um, manufacturers might be more inclined to things that are more accessible and as as great as great as it would okay am i on still yeah okay sorry yeah. okay <laughs> this thing's a phantom um and as as great as it would be to have it you know, completely accessible, which is our ultimate goal. You know, in the meantime, you might find something that'll get you halfway there, and then you can mark it and braille it and do what you need to do. Um, But Access World is at least worth a look. AFB.org, there's a link to the magazine on their homepage. AFB.org. Thank you, Norm. Oh, okay. Okay. There you go. There's an app for it. There's an app for that. Access World. that's That's a real good thing. But is it available on Android? <laughs> she we'll doesn't out. know. Norma will Norma will let us know. People call in, let us know if it's available on but, Android. But I also <laughs> I also know this. Sometimes sometimes you got this issue right now and you gotta get it taken care of. And and you know, just remember, how do you buy a washer? You gotta go in there and you check it out yourself and, and you make sure that you can use it before you take it out of the store. Right. Other questions? Yes. Yes. Madam President, um, this week I uh, received a request from a friend of mine who's deafblind and who has a book sense, you too. Okay. And um, he was wondering if there was such a thing, he's been looking himself and asked me if I'd look around and call around, if there were a brailled tutorial. Now, there's a getting started thing that comes with the Braille Sense, but it just gives some very rudimentary things, you know, to get started. There is a manual, I believe, that's in Braille, but a tutorial for deafblind would be, I just wonder if anyone knows about one and maybe out at the worldwide ACB listening, um, if you know of one, if you would let me know at uh, email slayton4284 at msn.com so that I can get that information to him. S-L-A-Y-T-O-N-4284 at msn.com. In Braille. Book Sense, you too. I'd like to reach out to you there, uh, John. Just say that uh, HIMS uh, has, makes different 
types of uh, tutorials like that, and I think they actually have a brailled one. But they, I think oh. we're going to have to look at it. Okay. And, and maybe push him on it. That's right. They might know of something, of some such tool. Hey, I've heard of the book sense ET and the book sense XT. I've heard of the Braille sense U2. Is that what we're talking about? Oh, the Braille sense. Braille sense ET. Braille sense, okay. Because you said book sense. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. No, no problem. Sense. No, it's got to be the Braille sense U2 mini. Okay. SIP, this is Becky. Yes, Becky. And um, in terms of accessibility, I'm wondering about uh, medical devices. The thing that really is coming to my mind is the insulin pump yeah. because there are so many blind diabetics, but that insulin pump is not speech-friendly. It's not voice-accessible at all. Um, and I'm wondering if anything is being done to address medical equipment. You know, I wish I, wish I had even thought about that when I was there to ask that question. I don't know, Becky, but it really would be good for us to find out. Oh, do you want to? Sorry about that, Tyler. <laughs> Boy, you know, uh, if Tyler had wax in his ears, he won after today, right? <laughs> All the buzzing going on. Yikes. <laughs> Oh, boy. All right. Um, so I also work on the Health Issues Committee. Oh. And uh, this is an area of focus that we're working on right now. We're, we're, we're focusing on glucometers at the moment. So we've contacted all of the talking glucometer manufacturers across the country. And we have obtained most of them so far. I, I, don't, I don't think there's anything left that we need to evaluate. Um, and we're going to be looking at, at pumps next, um, and we'll be publishing our results. So stay tuned on that. The Health Issues Committee is uh, definitely working on it. Thank you. Um, there, there are a number of, of glucometers that the ADA says are accessible. And, well, hold on. And... So we are evaluating them because we don't think that the majority of them are fully accessible. You know, um, you know, meaning that you can control all aspects of the meter. And so that's what we're in the process of determining. So um, we'll, we'll let you know, and uh, you'll see it in the form. For, for those of you who don't know this, I try to play the fiddle. I mean, I really try hard. And what I really need on accessibility is an electronic tuner. <laughs> so maybe we'll get one of those. <laughs> anyway, um, I would like now to have a door prize. That's it on this. And we're, we're going to have a panel up in just a second. I've been looking. I want you to. I need to know. I've seen some, but I don't know how to... I, I don't know. I, I, I was unable to figure it out, I guess. I, please. I can't imagine it wouldn't be 
Oh, of course. Anything to make my fiddle playing better. <laughs> if I could be okay, any first star door prize. above. Uh, $10 envelope for um, Linda Dietrich. Linda! Oh, it's from Linda. Oh, I thought. Yes, from Linda. And the winner is Linda Dietrich. <laughs> That's great. That's great. <laughs> next, next prize is um, it is a set of, I believe it's three CDs, and they are Christmas songs to remember. You can hang on to it for Christmas. The winner for that is Sally Ripplinger. Oh, Sally! Yeah, go. Can you All I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. One more, Beck. Uh, that is a, a third pri door prize. Is a it's a little sack that has a keychain alarm clock, Ooh. Um, talking one, and there is also a flash drive. Oh, that's a nice prize. And the winner of that one is Marcy Duty. Hey, Marcy, good going. More to come. Yes. <laughs> no, we just we just did. All right. We have a panel. We've asked a few people just to maybe come up and talk about um, some things related to being part of the Iowa Council of the United Blind. And um, was it Carrie? Were you one? So anybody who, who Gina wrote to... Mike, you were. Mm-hmm. 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 Two of us are coming forward. Oh, yeah, they're coming. Yeah, and this is it. This is just three people. Whack them all. Come on up here. Ching, 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 ching. Hi. Come on around the table to your right. Oh, my God. Arlo, we'd be doing surgery. Ooh, what's it called? Come on right over here. Back here. And I've, hit, I've got the microphone, and, um, you know, it's good to revisit why we're part of this organization. And I know we've focused a lot on ACB, but 
you know, at the local, you know, the state affiliate level and the local level, I think it's really important to talk about what's important to us and and bring it in to this room and just get a, a sense of where people are and what they'd like to get out of being part of this group. So I've asked I asked Gina to start this discussion off by uh, emailing a few people and asking them to talk about um, how important it's been to them and what it's what it's helped them with. So who would like to go first? Or do I? You're, you're closest to me. Okay. Right. I don't really have like a speech or no, anything. No, you don't need to speak. <laughs> okay. Do you want to just, yeah, as far as like, can you hear me? Hello? 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 I think I hit a button actually. Hello? Can you hear me? Okay, great. Yes, you can hear me? Okay, great. All right. So for me, joining ICUB and also um, I think we're going to talk a little bit about support groups as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I am Carrie Chapman. <laughs> I'm Carrie Chapman. Um, and I joined ICUB, um, I think about two years ago. And the reason for joining was just to kind of stay connected with people, but also to get involved in some things that were important to me. Um, going to the Capitol, advocating for different things, um, meeting people, um, just some of the issues that you know, are near and dear to me, I guess was one of the reasons. Um, since then, we've done a lot of stuff. We've done party buses. That was important. And we've done trivia bowls, and we've done just get-togethers. And um, just being able to get involved in meeting people, I think, is a good start, um, especially, like, coming out of the department. Um, I wanted to stay involved. Uh, two years, or about a year and a half ago, my sister and I started a support group out in Altoona, and um, kind of the same scenario just getting involved wanting to stay connected with people and being able to do things um and keep moving forward from what we learned from the the department and from other people Um, so i think it's really important to do that it's real easy to go back home and not um, get involved and to kind of go back into your shell Um, so for me i guess that was my reasoning behind it and i've met a lot of great people Ms. Laurie? Thanks. Um, well, I, you, you want to go next? Or? Mm-hmm. We're all done. I'm sorry. No, you're right next to me. No, okay. that's okay. There you go. Thanks. Uh, well, my name is Mike Honick, and I have actually, I think, been a member of ICUB, or actually for the Iowa Council of the Blind, um, since about 1981. I, I don't know exactly if that's close but, or correct, but it's close. Um, I got recruited out of high school, actually, when I was in school at IBSSS and um, graduated and at, um, <clears throat> during our senior year, um, the Vinton Council, which was quite active in those days, um, had, a, had a meal for um, graduates. And, of course, you know, student, free food, of course you're going to go. And um, so, and they talked about ICA, or ICB, as it was then, and um, shortly after that, I joined. And I think over the years for me, it's meant different things. Um, and I don't want to get a, a little bit of what I'm going to share this evening um, involves this, so I don't want to get too far into it. But I will just say that as a young person, just having seeing other blind people that were um, successful and active, um, there was a lot. It's always been about 
fellowship for me. I think that, um, you know, in, the, in back in the day, a lot of us spent a lot of time sharing information and just kind of reminiscing about Braille school days. And for, so for me, it was really fun to talk with people that had gone to school many years before I had. And um, so there's, there's obviously that piece. Um, you know, certainly over the years, I think the the advocacy, um, and, and it's really been a challenge for me, I think. You know, I mean, early on, I think when, when we were working a lot on um, pedestrian signals and, you know, some of those other things um, were, were things in the Social Security earnings and things like that. Those were things that I related to. I struggle sometimes now with the focus on technology. Everybody seems to think that that should be an interest of mine, but it just isn't. It's, I mean, I use it because I have to, and there are certain pieces of it that, that really, um, you know, obviously I have to do. And I, and I, I think it's wonderful that, it, that ACB and ICUB are getting involved in it. But it's just, you know, you, we all have to find our niche within, within um, ACB or any group that we join. And so being able to be involved uh, for a long time with the bulletin was a big deal because it, was, it allowed me to connect with people all over the state. Um, the Brailler Award and the partnership that, it, you know, it's so much more fun and rewarding to have um, to be working with ICUB on that than if we were just trying to do it as a family because, again, it's connecting young blind people with, you know, those of us that are a little more seasoned, I guess. Um, so that's another, another piece. And I think, you know... Um, the board meetings and then also convention is a real big thing for me because I am in Davenport where we don't have a chapter. So um, I don't, you know, have that opportunity to connect as, as frequently. Being able to be a part of things which which ICUB is getting so actively involved in now, like IRIS, the gala, you know, people thought it was kind of, they were surprised that I would, you know, come from Davenport to, to Des Moines and, you know, number one, obviously, it was to support a great cause, but number two, it was just to have fun to, and, and connect with people, again, that, that kind of, you know, that are like-minded. So um, those are some of the things that I get out of being in a, in a consumer group. Um, I think, you know, and now certainly some of the advocacy with um, services for the blind here in Iowa, I guess, are another issue that I've, I feel that I've been able to connect around with a lot of people. Um, in terms of support groups, I'm actually a huge fan of them, and one of the things that I'm really excited about when I... I'm, for those that don't know, I'm going to be reducing my hours after July 1st at work to three days a week. And one of the things that I'm really excited about is being able to reconnect with our low vision support group in the Quad Cities because I think, um, again, that tends to attract a different demographic a bit, usually people that are retired, a bit older, fearing blindness and so forth, and just being able to, to be a sounding board, to learn from them, um, and just to connect, make another community connection is, is, is a big deal. And I know people who, um, I, who are involved with those support groups um, really find them to be really a source of empowerment. So um, I guess I've rattled on enough here. And, Lori, I think, let's see, where are you? Oh, there we go. Got it? Um, oh, sorry. I guess everyone can hear me. Um, my name is Lori Trujillo. And uh, I guess, you know, I, I can't really say too much that hasn't really already been touched upon. Um, when I think about ICUB and support groups and what it means to me is kind of what Mike and Carrie talked about, which was um, staying connected and support and opportunity. And, and um, you know, when I went through the department, one of the things that I uh, 
that really benefited me was that peer support. And um, uh, that's what I've gained back through support groups and, and being a member of ICUB. Um, it's also helped me to stay in touch with, um, you know, um, skills that, um, you know, blindness skills, uh, reading Braille, traveling, um, technology, because as I become more involved in ICUB, um, you know, I, I rely on those skills more. And um, give you an example, we went to, you know, Sip talked about how we went to Washington back in February, and and because I went to Washington, I had to travel. And um, we had to read Braille when we went out to eat, and, and um, just communication skills, uh, meeting new people um, on a national level. And so, um, you know, that's... That's about it for me. Uh, mainly support and opportunity and staying connected. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, um, how is that? Okay. So, anyway, that, I'll pass this back to you. You're a fearless moderator. Would anybody like to add to that? Yes. Can you get to a microphone? All right, thank you, Arlo. All right. One thing I hear everybody saying is that you're staying in tune and, and getting acquainted with other people, but I didn't hear any of you mention uh, keeping in tune with new legislation and getting to meet legislators and advocating for our causes. Any response? Yeah, I think that's... I think that's very true. Um, I remember, I guess I'm supposed to stand up, right? Um, <laughs> I remember my first um, foray into that was back in the mid-80s, I guess, 80, what, somebody that's got the history down better than I do, but 86, 86, when um, the move was made to pull the commission out of, you know, we had our own separate agency status for, a very long time, obviously, and we got bumped into the Department of Human Rights. And, um, of course, I was actually working for the agency at the time. So, you know, I had to be very clear about, you know, I'm taking vacation to, to do this. But I remember going over to the Capitol and, um, and advocating for, um, you know, the re restoration of uh, being, you know, going back into uh, having our own separate commission status. And eventually we, we made it. So, you know, that was, that was a, a and, and there were, you know, but part of that, too, was learning from people um, like John Taylor, for example, that was over, you know, that were over there. And so, you know, I, I certainly, that, that was my first experience with that. I have done some, gone out to D.C. Um, a number of times for the mid-year in the legislative seminar. And actually, for a couple years, I think it was coordinated our, our Hill visits. And so... Um, yeah, that was a, that was a, talk about, Jeff mentioned growth experiences this morning, and that was a real, you know, I had to really step outside my comfort zone to get all that done and figure out who was doing what when, and, and you know, many times we would, we would come in after the NFB, you know, their, their convention, or their seminar might have been the week before, and, you know, you'd hear, well, they'd say, well, you know, so-and-so from the NFBI said just the opposite, and so we had to, you know, do that whole education piece, and so yeah, that that what that has been a big piece, Arlon. I appreciate your you bringing that up, Did you, Carrie or Lori. I don't know if that's been a thing you either of you've gotten involved with, but 
Um, you know, uh, yeah, we've, we've been able to be involved in quite a few things. We were involved in um, Capital Days, um, where there was a, it was put on through ID Action, and we were able to go up and learn a little bit about the process, and we went there as a group. Um, we've also been up to the Capitol as a group, um, um, you know, talking about issues that are important to us as a community. Um, we went to Washington, like I said, back in February, and I, I think the biggest thing that I learned is that the legislative process has always been something I've inter been interested in, but actually going up to the Capitol and, and talking to someone about it um, has always been pretty intimidating to me. Um, and it, but as a result of doing this with a group and, and people in ICUB, what I've learned is it, it's, it, it's really not that difficult. Um, that these are just people that I'm going up to to talk to. They're people just like me, and, and they're really interested in the issues um, that I'm interested in. And um, as a result of, of me being involved in this with ICUB, I've also uh, went up on my own and, and dealt with issues, uh, personal issues that um, uh, are of a concern to me. And, and so just gaining that confidence, um, I think uh, ICUB has helped me get that in in. Um, being an advocate on um, on a lot of levels. So, Carrie, do you have anything? Um, so, yeah, I guess pretty much what they said. The last it wasn't last year, but two years ago, we were up at the Capitol quite a bit, um, talking to our representatives, um, writing letters, um, going as a group. It was very. Um, it was a great learning experience. Um, but like Lori said, the more you do it, the more comfortable you get. And, um, you know, it's important. It's definitely probably the most important, I guess, um, as far as um, wanting to see change. Um, you know, you have to get involved. So. Sure you can. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Madam Prez, Jim Whitty, uh, I'd really like to uh, support what Mike had to say. <clears throat> I have sent, Catherine and I have spent many hours over at the Golden Dome, um, and, uh, and I was also present during the 1980 thing, too. <clears throat> What was really impressive about the 1980 thing is that almost every day there were two blind ladies. One uh, Lisa Davis and one Crystal Hagemoser uh, who spent countless hours at the Capitol building. Now, I believe that they effected the change. Uh... That experience, and my experience from the last couple of years, Catherine's and my experience, uh, caused me to come to a very clear conclusion that I can go over there and I could talk for eight hours a day and I have all the facts and figures and, and the history of the Department for the Blind and everything else uh, and have almost no impact. And the reason I don't have much impact is two things. I am a male, and I am sighted. You take a blind gal <laughs> and a sighted guy, 
a lobby in the Capitol building, and you know who's going to win. Right. It's part of human nature, you know. Uh, I could maybe have some impact with some of the female legislators. I certainly had none at all, uh, except for Rob Davis, <laughs> Rob Taylor. Uh, so the it, it, history should be telling us and telling all of us in this room that if we want to get something done in government, uh, our best advocates are going to be blind guys. Blind guys, you know, Governor Branstad, for whatever else he may be or may not be, uh, was responsible for taking us, taking our individual status away and putting us into the Department of Human Wrongs, which he called it. <laughs> and so he could have stopped, I think, our getting out. He could have killed that thing, probably. Uh, out of that whole uh, thing, though, he came up with one famous quotation. He says, or said at the time that that happened, listen, when you, when you hear those white canes coming down the aisle, pay some attention to it. And that's very, very true. The more white canes over there in the Capitol building, uh, the more impact we're going to have. So we should really, we should really keep that in mind. Uh, you know, that's we, we're not doing enough of that. So. I think the other thing, all of us in coming to a group like this, we learn so much from other people, and by learning that, we become a better, more articulate person on the issues. And when you go to speak to legislators, they've got five minutes to spend with you. You need to be articulate in what you're talking about in order to get them to listen. Okay. Thank you. Um, if there's, hmm? okay. appreciate that. No, I, I guess the biggest thing I've learned from another big thing I've learned from ICUB is, you know, they always say your voice matters. And, and what I've learned is that my voice matters only as much as I make it. And so like Arlo talked and Jim talked and everyone's talked about is, is um, you know, writing letters and, and going up to the Capitol and talking to my legislators and, and um, just being involved. And so that was just something that I was thinking about as everyone was talking. So. This is up. Uh, this is June Bell. I'm June Bells. I'm cited, and I joined an ICUB chapter in '98. And uh, I was working with a nurse's aide one day, <clears throat> that said, "Oh, blind people, you know, they don't have a life." And I thought, well, ignorance is not bliss, and there is none so blind as those who will not see. So it pointed out to me that when you're blind, go everywhere, do everything, participate in all you can, so people like her can meet you and realize that uh, blind people are just right down dynamic, you know, as well as independent. So, yeah. Thank you very much, June. We are. And we're not. <laughs> yeah, we're 
we're all over it. And, and you know what? But we try to be dynamic, and we're, we're working toward it by doing what we're doing here. Um, I'm going to close this session unless somebody else has something they want to add. Thank you. And we're going to move on to, um, we have elections scheduled. I was, um, yeah, I was going to confer with Sandy and say maybe we should do ours first. Um, the lady might be wanting to leave, Dawn Williams. Maybe Maybe we should take a short break, you know, like enough for some door prizes and bring Dawn in and do our voting, um, accessible voting and, and, and voting rights discussion, and then do our elections after that. Let's, let's do that. Oh, Don. Okay. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Bravo. We need a door prize. Hmm? All right, Becky. Okay, we got three more to go. First thing I have is, and I believe it's the last part of this set, it's another set of garden steaks. Uh, one is a frog, a butterfly, and a hummingbird, along with a stepping stone, I guess is what you call these. And this one says, uh, friends are... Friends are the flowers in the garden of life. The flowers in the garden of life. And again, it has flowers that are um, upraised and that sort of thing. Like the winner of that is Matt Burhuel. He's not here. Okay. Where is Matt? Okay, let's draw it again. How about Bob Seliger? Not here. Not here. Sandy's waiting. <laughs> Maybe. How about Marsha Moat? Is Marsha Moat here? They're smoking. Do another one. How about Dennis Mowry? How about how about Jeff Bishop? Yay, Jeff Bishop is here. He's going to Arizona. And where are you, Jeff?
Next item is a $10 envelope from Linda Dietrich, and it goes to April Reams. Oh, April, are you here? Oh, <laughs> gee, that's too bad. This must be. How about Ed Shepard? Nope. Is anybody here? How about Roger Christensen? Yay, Roger! <laughs> Drinks are on you tonight, Roger. <laughs> and are we ready to start then? No, I have one more thing. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Um, it is a set of dishcloths that were crocheted or knitted. Crocheted by Catherine Witty. They are different shades of green and beautiful. And the winner is, somebody be here, uh, Elsie Monty. Eugene Cherry needs that. <laughs> Robert Spangler? Oh, he had no, the he, he took off. Sandy wants it. She always likes winning. Bonnie Kennedy? Oh. Yay, Bonnie! Woo! That's all for right now. Thank you very much, Becky. We, this, this is one thing I forgot to mention. This year, some of us sat down and said, how, how can we do some different things around the state of Iowa and help our fellow blind folk? And we thought Prairie Meadows Racetrack and Casino has, not yet, but maybe they will. Prairie Meadows uses Braille cards. No. Anyway, Prairie Meadows has, they have grants and community grants, and statewide grants, etc., because they make all that money and they have to do something with it. And so we thought we would apply for a grant. Uh, and I'm going to have Sandy talk about the grant and this leads into our voting and accessibility issue. Um, so, Sandy, here you go, right here. Joe Slayton, this has nothing to do with voting, but Joe Slayton is talking about Catherine's knit dishcloth. It's teaching me how to knit. Joe Slayton says, the patience of the saint. And maybe next year I'll bring some dish claws, but mine are still looking a little crooked. Uh, <laughs> so I'd knit a row, and I'd give it to Joe and say, well, how's it look? And she'd say, well, Sandy, you started out with 10 stitches. Now there's 15 on here. But they look good. <laughs> or I'd knit so tight, I'd 
try to shove the needle in there, and he goes, squeak, squeak. <laughs> and Joel said, now calm down. You can do this. Five dollars. I've made a few things, so made some scarves and stuff. Yeah. I'm working on a bunny. Bunny's not good. Anyway, that has nothing to do with anything except. <laughs> No, he's going to be stuffed. He's white, Arlo. He's going to be fluffy and white. Anyway, yeah, this, uh, this winter, uh, we wrote a grant to Prairie Meadows. We aren't going to find out if we get it till the end of May, which is kind of sad because it's will start June 1 if we get it. <laughs> so we're going to have to boogie. Uh, we're asking for about 23 grand um, to... Um, for a, a grant we're calling voting is for everyone of course that includes us right uh the goal of the grant and i'm going to use a little bureaucraties because you got to do that when you're writing grants they like bureaucratic language uh the goal is to ensure that iowans who are blind or iowa's blind and visually impaired citizens have the opportunity to participate fully in the state's voting process notes up here uh, and we divided it into two objectives the first objective which is really what we're we're doing here today so you guys get to be guinea pigs talking about squeaking um, participates participants will learn about the voting process in Iowa and how to access it using blindness and low vision techniques the second objective, which we're not going to do today, is uh, participants will learn how to use the assistive technology features of the iPhone, sorry Norma, to access <laughs> the information essential for becoming an informed voter. Okay, so that's part two. Uh, so today we're going to do talk about the first part, becoming uh, an informed voter. Uh, you know, how do you uh, fully participate in in the voting process? So, what's in it for you to vote? Why should you vote? It's a pain, you know. Yeah, it makes you a stakeholder, right? You got a voice. Yeah. And I hear some people say, by the way, this year, oh, I don't like either of them. I'm not going to vote at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. What else is, what else is uh, important? Why is, else is it important to vote? Change. Yeah, bring about change. Yeah. And does that change necessarily just happen in the voting booth? My guess is Rob Taylor listens to the witty, well, at least to Jim, because Rob Taylor is a Republican. And of course, we know Jim's a Republican, right? And Catherine comes along for the ride. Yeah. Yeah. To bring about change. So what kind of change have blind people affected because of the voting process? Can you think of anything 
path or that maybe we're working on right now? You know, you don't have to have somebody go in there with you when you, have, when you accept your vote. Yeah. You no longer have to have somebody in there from two parties when you cast your vote. What else? Confidential. It's confidential. Private and independent voting. Yeah. I think that it demonstrates what June just said, which is uh, when the rest of the electorate sees a blind person coming in to vote, uh, they recognize the wholeness and uh, ability of blind persons to participate in all facets of life. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think, too, when politicians know that you vote, you know, a lot of them, you know, you'll write a, an email or whatever to uh, somebody in the state house, and they'll say, well, we respond to our constituents first. You know, they're more, they're, if they know you're voting, and that they know you can, they can get your vote by doing what you ask them to, um, they're more likely to do that. Okay, I think Rob Taylor and Jim have gotten along so well because Rob knows Jim's going to vote for him and encourage other people to vote for him. Um, a lot of times the voting laws are violated not because people are being malicious, it's because they don't know. They're ignorant about, about what the law really is. Gloria mentioned that the, the, uh, you used to have to bring somebody from each party into the voting booth. This is before accessible machines. And a lot of people still think that, including poll workers. I used to teach business class you know, at the orientation center, and I'd say to students, okay, so tell me about voting and what you, um, what you need to be able to do. And that's the first thing they always say. You've got to bring two people in. And that's not true anymore. But if you run into a poll worker who thinks that, or if you think that, then... Um, it might very well, it might very well happen. So it's really important <coughs> for us as blind people to know about the voting laws that affect us. Because if something's gonna be done that's incorrect, if we don't know about it, we're not going to correct it. We're not going to know um, that, that that's not the way, the way it should be done. And sometimes you've got to find out, you've got to learn about it, and you've got to take responsibility for that yourself. Because we can't necessarily rely on, on our friends. And again, one of the things I, I used to have students do then is go research the law. <laughs> you know, don't just ask other people and think they know what they're talking about. Go read the law and find out. Um, the NFB, the National Federation of the Blind, did a study... Um, concerning blind voters in 2008, 2012, and 2014 in the, those elections. And they found out that untrained poll workers were the primary reason voters could not cast independent private votes on an accessible voting machine because the poll workers 
did not know how to set up the machine or operate it. And I would guess that some of you have encountered that, you know. Uh, it's that machine in the corner, or I don't know how to use that, or nobody showed me how to use it. And from my understanding, and Dawn may correct me, <laughs> but my understanding is that in Iowa, there is no law requiring poll workers to be trained. So they're not, they're not going to know. So your two best resources for valid voting information are the Secretary of State's office. Anybody know who that is right now? Paul Pate, that's right. Paul D. Paul D. Is, uh, is our Secretary of State. And the Secretary of State office is charged with overseeing elections and campaigns. They have a great website, sos.iowa.gov, that you can go to. It's a great, great website. And you can also get a hold of them uh, in person. You can call them on the phone. They have lots of really good information about voting and uh, voting uh, for people with disabilities. Another great source is the county auditor's office, your county. And again, you can, you can call them, you can go online, you can um, stop in, and, um, and they all have a little bit different websites, it's kind of interesting. Um, the uh, Johnson County, where Iowa City is, they have a great website, all kinds of really good, good information. So even look at, at other, um, other county websites want to read about it. They can help you register. They can help you get an absentee ballot. They can tell you when elections are going to be held. They can give you sample ballots. Uh, they can tell you what the uh, vote early uh, time frame is. Um, they can uh, give you kind of interesting information like how many members or how many people in each county are registered uh, per party. So Polk County, Polk County where you are right now. Are there more Democrats or Republicans? Democrats, yeah. It's more Democrats than Republicans in Polk County. Why do you? <laughs> so those are, are two great resources and Dawn is here from the Secretary of State office so she is one of our resources and that and um, brought a, a, a voting machine for us to use so I have to shorten up a little bit here. Um, let's see. The Voting Act, I think it's of 2002, it requires an accessible voting machine to be available in every voting location that um, offers a federal election. 
and that people with disabilities be able to vote privately and um, independently. All the instructions for voting must be in, it says large print, but I thought, Dawn, didn't you say you had some in Braille today? Yeah, and she's got them in Braille. Um, um, each location is required to have an accessible voting machine, as we said. And if you want um, someone to help you, you can ask, like, another family member. You can ask um, even somebody at the polls. But the people you can't ask to help you with voting is your employer, the agent of your employer, um, a union steward, I guess, or an agent of your, your union. Um, but you certainly can ask precinct uh, people to help you, and I've done that before too. And before uh, I voted with the accessible voting machine, I remember, you know, there was no place that I could go. I, you know, I was out there with everybody else in line, and she was reading it off to me, <laughs> so it really wasn't private. Um, but I didn't care if they knew how I voted, so that's the way that went. But I, I do care really because I think it's important to to have that right and to exercise your right to be able to have privacy when you, when you vote. Um, if you, let's see. Um, if you get help, and, and tell me if this is correct, Don, if you get help from one of the precinct people, you have to sign a form. So they sign the waiver. And, and you do as well. And we do. Permission. Right. But um, you can, and, and this is important, it's how you sign the waiver. And you can use a rubber stamp. You can, um, with permission, have somebody assist you in signing that or put a mark on that form. Right? And... This brings me to a question, and, and this is also true for absentee ballots. Um, we have a gentleman over in Cedar Rapids, and this has happened to him twice. He, um, he's 98 years old, and he had somebody help him fill out the absentee ballot. He used his rubber stamp. They called him, and they told him his, his ballot was not legal, he went down and he had to sign it with assistance in front of the auditor's office people. The next year he did it, well, and then he did, it was last year he did it again, and he didn't do anything. I mean, they just called him and said he couldn't use his rubber stamp on, on that absentee ballot, and I, I don't think that's right. that county or those precinct workers 
we can't fix what we don't know about. Um, so, so please do reach out to us anytime you you encounter barriers of any kind. And I'm hoping that you'll you'll call Cedar Rapids. Yeah, because this is really important to him um, to be able to vote in this election coming up using that rubber stamp. And I, I think, you know, violation of the law is not malicious. It's usually done out of ignorance. Um, and But it, it does hurt other people. And there are places that you can call. You can call the... You can call the Polk County Auditor's, Auditor's Office. There are several 800 numbers that you can call that we can give to you. And I don't have them d written down here. Do you have them right there, Sandy? Yeah. Okay. You can go to um, <clears throat> the Secretary of State office, like I said, it's a great, it really is a great website, and it's, it's very speech-friendly. Um, and on there, there is a link to an email form you can fill out if you have it. And uh, they'll respond to it. And there is also an 800 number that they list on the site um, that you can call if you have you have a problem. It's like 888-R-VOTE eight, 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 eight or something like that? Something like that. Something like that. So, um, but don't let it go. No, no. And... and you know, go to their supervisor even. Um, if you go to the website, there's a lot of other things that you can see there. I mean, you can register at the Secretary of State's website, the County Auditor's website. You can find out if you're currently registered. You can find out where to vote. You can find out if, when you can vote, like if you can vote early. Um, you can get an absentee ballot there. Let's uh, and they also have sample ballots. Now, I received a telephone call just recently from a gentleman out in Washington, the state of Washington, who says that these sample ballots are not accessible with a screen reader because they're a PDF and they're column columnized and that it reads across the columns, and he wanted to make some money off of this and get some software put on to make those uh, columns read correctly. And then I called Freedom Scientific about JAWS being able to read such text, and they said if it's marked up correctly, you don't have to worry about it. Jeff, is that right? I mean, this guy wants to sell like $5,000. The software is $5,000 or something like that. That's a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, I, and I, I, I called Cedar Rapids to find out because that was one place he was interested in. I never called him back to respond to him, but um, I don't, I mean, these websites need to be made accessible, but I don't think they should have to spend that kind of money on doing that, especially if it's easy to do, it's, if it's an easy fix. And this is something we can help work with them on, is fixing that stuff. Um, Let's see. Now, there, there's a, you can vote, obviously, at um, your precinct location. Most pre precincts, I think all precincts in Iowa have numbers. 
and it depends on your address and stuff like that. Um, and as I said, the um, auditor's office can tell you about that and, and where they are and give you the correct address, what uh, the hours of operation are, and that sort of thing. But you can also arrange to vote early at the county auditor's office if early voting is available. And you, I know I have voted at the auditor's office with the accessible voting machine when I don't think it was around in every single precinct at that point. I tried it out there. And I know, I, I, I'm, I'm sure that you guys, if you wanted to go and check one of these out, you could go to your county auditor's office and say, hey, can I see that accessible voting machine? Can you show me how to use that thing? And, um, you know, take some time and, and get used to using it. Now, as far as um, getting to the polls, let's see. Um, the uh, elections office, auditor's office, does not provide transportation to that. But many of the campaigns do. And as I understand from Dawn, um, the county's auditors and elections, you know, your elections commission from Secretary of State's office is not in charge of primary voting, right? Or the caucuses? The caucuses. The caucuses. How about the primaries? Primary, yes. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. But I know that um, there are, you know, people from the different uh, parties oftentimes will help you register to vote as well as provide you with rides to a voting site. Let's see. And then I have, if any violations, uh, oh, here it is, 888-SOS-VOTE. I love that. <laughs> That's 888 I'm 888-767-8683. And I think that's about it. What do you think, Sandy? Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Let me start with that. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. My name is Don Williams. I work for Secretary of State Pate. He sends his greetings. And um, this is a wonderful opportunity for us to come, to listen to you all, to learn how we can do better. And um, gosh, where do I start? They've, you guys covered a lot. You did your homework. That's great. In Iowa, the Help America Vote Act did make mandate that accessible voting equipment be available in every polling place in the country for federal offices for federal election. So in every general election, every primary election, there will be what we call a ballot marking device available in the precincts. Um, we've heard reports about individual precincts that do not um, know how to operate the equipment. Um, do not set it up always right out right away. We hear those stories. We work hard to educate folks. Um, f 
for every story where a precinct messed up, we like to believe that there's stories where precincts have done it exactly right. I, I, I visited with Tyler earlier, and he said he had an amazing voting experience at one precinct in Pottawatomie County, not so good in another. So so that tells me a lot. That tells me that, that the word that the training does happen, um, does it happen frequently enough? We're going to make sure it happens more frequently. But when it comes right down to it, um, at the end of the day, um, county auditors train their precinct workers. It is required by law. Um, before general and primary elections. We do train our precinct workers, and then we turn turn over the keys, and it's in their hands. And so we can't always control, but we can do better. We can educate better. Um, I also had just recently reviewed the survey that was done by the National Federation for the Blind, and numbers, satisfaction numbers, have decreased in some categories. They haven't decreased a lot. But any decrease is not good, and we certainly want to stop that decrease. And so we are definitely looking toward educational opportunities, reminding we have several trainings and opportunities to be before the entire state um, association of county auditors this year, and we'll be definitely talking to them about the accessibility issues. Um, Online voter registration was mentioned. For online voter registration, you do have to have a non-operator's ID, Iowa non-operator's ID, or an Iowa driver's license. The reason for that is Iowa law requires that we have a signature on file, and that's the only way we can capture a signature is from those records when you get your non-operator's ID. We've had a wonderful partnership with the DOT. Our website actually shoots you out to the DOT's website, and that's where you register. We've had discussions with them from over the last year and a half. They're working on making their website more accessible. Um, They've made some big strides. We are working on, we have just finished making our voter registration form that's online. It's a fillable form, and we completely redesigned it since the first of the year to make it screen reader friendly. We had no idea. Excuse me. We had no idea that that it wouldn't go through until we started having the discussions with the DOT. So it made us start asking some questions of inside our own house. And the Iowa Department for the Blind has reviewed it. They said that it is readable now. And and you know it was simply just a a design, um, the way the form was designed and the way it tabbed through the screen. So we're very very pleased to tell you about that. Um, Voting at the polls, there are four different kinds of technology available right now for voting at the polls or voting in the auditor's office by absentee ballot. The the pieces of technology all work almost identically. The logic behind the equipment is the same. You navigate using up, down, right, left arrows, a select key. Um, How the ballots how the equipment navigates through the ballot is slightly different. How they are produced is slightly different. Some ballots um, print a full-face ballot. By that, it means that it appears exactly as the, the voters' ballots um, that, that's, that sighted people use. Or some print um, a narrower ballot. It's, it's 
there's pluses and minuses. We've heard a little bit from folks that they don't like that their ballot looks different than a full-face ballot with the equipment that has smaller ballots. But, you know, there's some trade-offs. Um, the printers on a, I'm going to call it a cash register roll type of ballot, that type of printer is much more reliable and, and less um, subject to jams and, and mechanical difficulties. So there's pluses and minuses. With our education, um, we do encourage precinct workers to use the equipment themselves. More voters are using it all the time. And so it's, it's our belief and our hope that, that um, if you are an individual that uses the ballot marking device, that there will be other voters, whether they're sighted voters, whether they're blind voters, they'll be using it as well to commingle your ballot with. And if you've ever been at the polls at the end of the night, believe me, those precinct workers do not have the time to look at ballots and see how folks voted. They just don't have that time. So um, anyway, those are some of the things. We're really excited about new technology coming your way, our way. Um, there is one company right now that is certified for use in Iowa that has a website where they can post the sample ballot from your precinct and in with that you can mark a sample ballot online once you mark that sample ballot you can print it it also prints on the same piece of paper next to your the visible English plain text version of your ballot a QR code that can be read by the ballot marking device in the precinct so in the very near future, you won't be able to use it this year, but in the very near future, you will have, in, in counties that use that particular vendor, um, access to marking a ballot at home, having more time, and then taking it to the polls and casting it right along with all the, your neighbors in the voting precinct in, in a more convenient fashion. Um, I do know that, that other vendors are looking at that technology. How, and I need to ask for your understanding a little bit. The voting equipment um, manufacturers, um, voting technology moves at a very slow pace. It, um, we we kind of say sometimes that technology is 10 years behind everything else. The, the unique environment that, that tabulators, voting equipment has to operate in where it has to be 100% accurate, it has to be secret, the, the, the security measures um, make the production and the secrecy make the production of voting equipment more difficult than most things. A lot of voting equipment be, behaves a lot like an ATM machine, but guess what? Um, a teller can look at your ATM machine, they can look at your receipts, and you can figure out where a problem is. You can't do that with voting. So, so technology moves at a slower pace, but it is moving. The, the vendors are paying attention, and, and I think that we're going to see in the next 10 years great strides. In Iowa, I mentioned there's four different kinds of voting equipment available. It's a county-by-county difference that the decision of what kind of voting equipment the county uses is the county auditor's decision. They make that based on um, multiple criteria, um, affordability, reliability, 
um, relationships with vendors, um, ease in programming. Um, voting equipment has a lot of technical things behind the scenes um, that that make that vendor relationship really important. So, so the county auditors select voting equipment from among a group of, of vendors that are certified for use in Iowa. All of the equipment certified for use in Iowa meets stringent federal standards. Um, there are voluntary voting system guidelines. Iowa subscribes to those guidelines. And there are federally certified test labs that test all of the voting equipment. So we know before it ever comes to Iowa that it, it meets the most stringent tests. So I can pause for questions. Um, do you all have questions? Um, great. Thanks. Um, this is Mike Honick, and I'm <clears throat> was when you were talking about the um, voter education programs. Um, a number of years ago, um, some of us teamed up with the Iowa DD Council and did um, some training um, with county auditors, and there was a training called SEAT, and I don't remember what it stood for if it still exists. But one of the, <clears throat> and I'm not quite sure if the council, maybe you can answer this, if the DD Council is still involved, and if so, how those trainings are being delivered. Um, one of the things that, that I know I, and I, I, I don't want to speak for other folks with disabilities, but I think I will, or I, I probably could in this case, that made it such a powerful opportunity is that auditors actually got to see real live people that really truly needed the equipment. And in fact, I was actually invited by a couple county auditors um, to then come and do their precinct worker training. Because I think what happens, I can tell you that, for instance, in my precinct in Scott County, many times they'll, the precinct workers, they've gotten to know me, so they, they, they don't want to deal with me complaining anymore, so they always have the thing up. But they, <laughs> they frequently tell me that I am the only person who uses it. Yeah. So, you know, I guess one thing I would say is plead to everybody in this room. I, I know it can be easier to go do your own, to do a, an absentee, but if at all possible, go to the polls if for no other reason than to show people that we really do need these and use these and then secondly as far as the training has there been any move to try to or to ensure that people with disabilities that actually are end users are involved in conducting those trainings the the seat program the state election administrator program is still in fun is still in action we're still using it and we have um, county county personnel continually being trained through that program. We, um, I remember, Michael, the, um, the programs that when the Help America Vote Act was passed and the equipment and the training that went on. Um, I think possibly, and this is just my own personal opinion, one of the reasons maybe the satisfaction survey that those numbers have gone down a little bit is maybe we have let our foot off the gas. We rolled it out to great fanfare we did lots of, of PSAs and yep and and that's been 10 years now and counties are buying new equipment and and we will definitely pay attention to that we will definitely um, work toward the training better training of our precinct workers as the new equipment comes out we work with our vendors um, the vendors listen one of the suggestions recently with one of the vendors was that the speech was too 
too too fast and would would the could the speech pattern be altered and so this vendor at great cost to to their company went back and and altered that speech pattern and that's being loaded in some of the voting equipment around the state Cynthia did you yeah I I um I know one thing in response to Mike about I, I've heard this too from a lot of people like if I go to vote they say you're the only one that uses it da 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 but I also know when we did those vision loss re resource fairs where we had the voting machine, nobody knew about them. None of these, no, none of these blind people knew. I mean, you know, they were probably newly blinded. They were older. They had no clue that this stuff was even available. So for our benefit and for theirs, you know, just to reach out and, and make sure that people have some independence in doing this, that's why this grant is really important, I think, um, to make sure that people have an awareness of it. Plus, it gets some other technologies in the hands of uh, people for learning how to have access to information related to voting and related to the candidates and the choices that they're going to have to make. One comment to you, Don, is uh, about this, you know, uh, sample ballot that you can print out at home and it has a little thingamajigger on it. I think that needs to be tested by blind people with their screen readers, too, to make sure that it's accessible. Um, I can certainly pass that on to the vendor. We don't have control over that when they come to us and they're federally certified. Our authority extends to just making sure that they meet Iowa code language. Um, but I would fully expect that it's happened, but I'll reach out and make sure that it has. Yeah. Sir? Yeah, Don, I had one question, and that's, you said the law requires all precincts where a federal election is to be held to ha offer one of these voting machines. But you didn't say anything about whether it requires them to make them available for state elections or county or local elections. It, they, good, they have to have a machine, but do they have to make them available at those other elections good, is good my question. Good point, good point. Um, the federal law requires it at every precinct with a federal office on the ballot. Iowa state law requires that any time a county auditor uses voting equipment, electronic voting equipment, that they also have that available. So it is widely available for school and city elections also. There are still some county auditors that hand count elections, and when they hand count, then that is not available um, because the programming for the ballot marking device is tied to the programming for the voting equipment. But there are just certain criteria that allow a county, mostly our smaller counties, um, elections where turnout is very small. There are some counties that still do hand count in those situations. Uh, yes, Elsie, this is Elsie Monty, and I want to say we work so hard for this accessibility and I ditto what Mike says and I had at one time a person that I served when I was a folk rehab teach I mean a independent living dash rehab teacher and I really loved her so much because she said I'm going to go out and vote but back then, we had, and she was deafblind. And uh, I went with her, and I went to the office. It used to be so complicated, and we need to use 
this technology. We need to get to the polls. And we need to make ourselves visible at the polls. This is just my thought. But she, we had to go get a sample ballot and take it and have it brailed, let her read it, and then go to her voting place at, um, uh, at a center where she lived. And she was deaf-blind. And I was always so impressed with her because she had this idea, I'm going to be at the pulse and I'm going to be recognized as a deaf-blind person. Well, we need to have that attitude too. And I, that's my comment. And thank you for coming. We well, thank, thank you. And, and, you know, we're talking about problems here, but we've also had lots of successes. So, um, you know, don't let the talk here intimidate you from going to the polls and make you think that, oh, no, I'm going to have trouble. This is going to be a big fight. May I suggest um, if you're uncomfortable going to the polls, you might want to go to the county auditor's office and vote on their machine absentee for the first time. It's a great practice session where you might feel like you have the luxury of more time. But always you should go to the polls and ask for um, to use that, that piece of um, the ballot marking device, that piece of accessible equipment. And um, by any means, please um, aggressively um, seek out your right to vote and tell us when you do have problems. Don, Sandy, thank you so much for coming, Don. And Sandy, thanks for preparing this too. Um, let's hear it for him, guys. I would love to give you my email so you can contact me directly if you have questions or concerns. Um, it is D. Williams, D is in dog, Williams at SOS. Dot Iowa dot gov. Iowa is spelled out. So it's D Williams at SOS dot IOWA dot gov. Otherwise you can go straight to our website, use the, the email there, ask for Dawn and and it'll get to me that way too. Because I learned a lot from several of you today. Lessons I'm gonna take home and and we can all learn from each other. Thank you again. And how long will you be over in the exhibit room, Don? You're Just heading a few out there. More minutes, I'm afraid. I've okay. Commitments, and so I can, yep. Let's see, it's quarter till four. Yeah. So I'll commit to staying till four. If you, if anybody has questions. Very good. Thank you very much, Don. Um. Door price and then elections. <laughs> Did you say you wanted door prices? I do. Okay, just making sure. Yep. First item up is a uh, a bag that is has a coffee mug. Ooh. Um, that is filled with little pieces of um, the miniature candy bars. Oh yeah. And there is also a. Um, iCub hammer. Oh, I love those iCub hammers. 
<laughs> That's pretty good. And the winner is Bettina Dulinsek. Tuna? She's here. So now when 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 Cody when Cody can't fix it, guess what? You got that under your sink. <laughs> and the next item I have is um, a twin vision book. It's a child's book that says um, Ten Wishing Stars. Oh. And it's um, print, and then there's Braille um, in there. Is that what you want? And the winner of that is Becky Dunkerson. All right, Becky. That'll get you practiced on your Braille, Becky. I have two more, which we can do um, okay. at the end of things. It'll, be, it'll actually be good because I'm... Did you say you have two more? Or, or you're, we, we're, we can go on and... After. Okay. Yeah. All right. I am going to turn this over to our nom- nominating committee chair, <laughs> Ms. Joanne Knit One Pro One Slayton. <laughs> okay. This up here, so I can read my braille. Well, I got. You can put this. You want this to be held in here? Yeah. Yeah. And then you tip it down towards your shorty. There. My husband says I have a two in mechanics. So let the record show I did put the microphone in the cradle. (laughs) Okay. Um, I'd like to thank the committee who worked uh, really hard last night. Uh, Becky Dunkerson. Don Worth, Donna Seliger, Mike Honig, and Norma Bogey. And the committee would like to thank Catherine Witte for, <laughs> for bringing, us, <laughs> bringing us food and libation. <laughs> well, we did. So, thank you very much. Um, I'd like to first run down the current officers um, and board directors that we have. Um, Cynthia Cloud, SIP, is our president. Mike Honig is first vice president. Craig Slayton is second vice president. Catherine Witte is secretary. Gina Mowry is treasurer. And the directors currently serving are Carol Flickinger, Joyce Davis, Shirley Wiggins, Sandy Tegas, Lisa Davis, Arlo Monte, Rose Stratton, and Donna Seliger. Now, uh, all the officers this year are up for election, and then we have four board directors that are up for election. So the, the four board directors would be uh, Carol Flickinger, Joyce Davis, Shirley Wiggins, and Sandy Tigas. Okay. So after deliberation, um, I'd like to present to the slate to you 
And uh, I guess uh, I, would in, I would invite uh, a nomination to accept the slate. See if we can do it that way. Otherwise, we can do different. However you'd like, let's try it this way. Uh, the nominating committee would present to you as president, Cynthia Cloud. First vice president, Sandy Tigas. Second vi- vice president, Mike Honig. Secretary Catherine Witte and Treasurer Gina Mowry. And for the four directors, um, we have on the slate Carol Flickinger, Linda Manders, Carrie Chapman, and Tyler Yurnick. I'm sorry, I'm not saying it right, am I, Tyler? <laughs> I'm so. On the wrong syllable. <laughs> okay. So, um, I guess I would entertain a motion to accept the slate as presented. Is there a second? Second. Any discussion? All those in favor of accepting the slate, and by the way, we did check everything out. We asked people and we checked to make sure they were... Members in good standing and everything. So all those in favor of accepting the slate by acclamation, signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed, same sign. Thank you very much. Sorry about that because we didn't. I didn't discuss it. Traditionally, um, uh, traditionally, we usually send our president as our delegate. Um, but uh, so I guess uh, I would entertain a motion uh, from the floor to uh, submit a name for our delegate to ACB National Convention. Any nominations? Any discussion? All those in favor of Cynthia Cloud being our delegate to ACB convention, signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed, same sign. Thank you. Okay, now we have our alternate delegate. Do I have any nominations from the floor? Yes, I guess you can because I'm running it. Madam Chair, I would nominate... Anyone else? I'd like to nominate Mike Connie. Well, I thank you, and I have to respect you. Is Don Donna? Or uh, let's think. Other people. Uh, other people are going. Elsie uh, and Arlo. Are you going? Do we have a second? 
Any discussion? She is. Yes. I don't know. No, she's not president. Yes, this is national uh, to represent, and this would be an alternate delegate. Mm-hmm. Let's see, we have a nomination on the floor. Would you like to withdraw the nomination on the floor, or? Oh, we, I guess we can, yeah. <laughs> We have Donna and Elsie. Okay. Um, June, are you here? Yes. And Catherine? Yes. Would you please be our people to, to determine this? Um, may, may I ask for a, what do you call it, to <laughs> nomination C's, please? I move nomination C's. Okay. All those in favor of nomination ceasing at this point, signify by saying aye. The same sign, no. Okay, uh, so we have uh, Donna Seliger and Elsie Monty, who have been nominated. So all those who would uh, vote for Donna Seliger, please stand. And June and Catherine, if you would please count the votes. And I left my stylus at my table. <laughs> I usually keep it in my hand at all times. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Okay, you may be seated, please. And all those voting for Elsie, please stand. Have our our pollers confer. Okay, we, we concur it's eighteen. Okay, so Elsie, you will be the delegate or the alternate delegate. Okay? Okay, thank Do we need to um, authorize and I'm sorry to think about this last time, but do we need to authorize the mount? We usually we do. We do that. Um, we can do, we usually do that on Sunday, I think, but let's not forget it. Um, and I mean that could be done now. I think so. I think I think we wait tomorrow. It'll probably be better. Yeah, just so we don't don't let it go. <laughs> 
Thank you so much. And let's have a round of applause for our nominating committee. Yay, committee. You guys, you started late, you worked late, and you got up early. <laughs> okay. And now we need a door prize. Is Becky here? She's a walking. She's walking in right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a walking. Okay, the final two door prizes for this session. Okay. Uh, remember when I asked if everybody liked chocolate? Yeah. I have another one of those glasses that's full of probably 15, 16 candy bars. Oh, there's Caramellos, no. there's Reese's, there's Hershey's, there's Butterfingers. Yeah. Violet hasn't won in a while. <laughs> Cut and the winner off. is Larry Belts. He is not here, and he is not going to get fat. He's June Belts' husband. How about Sandy Tigus? All right. Let's do another. Yeah, right. And I have an envelope that has a $10 bill donated by Linda Dietrich. How nice. Boy, Linda. And the winner is Inez Schultz. Inez, wonderful. Bravo. That's all for this session, but there's plenty more to come. And now, last but not least, but we need this badly. <laughs> a, a former student, Batunia Dolensek. <laughs> yeah, I used to call her Batunia all the time. Tuna for short. She goes by B now. How boring is B? I think Tuna is better. <laughs> So if you could come on up here, Tuna. I'm coming. Whoever, whoever would have thunk that, that CrossFit would have fit into her life. But it did, and it did in a big way. And, and maybe you'll even tell us what it stands for. Pain and suffering. CrossFit means, all right, Cody, <laughs> do the dishes. <laughs> okay. Tuna. But she, it, it's really Bettina, Bettina Delinsack. And um, I've known her for a long time. She was one of my home ex students, poor thing. And <laughs> so um, we kind of go back a ways, but... It was, I think, three years ago that you were certified in CrossFit. Yes. And this is a very, very difficult thing to do. And Tuna, Bettina, will tell everybody all about it. Thank you for coming with us.
having me today. I'm excited to be here. And right after candy's being handed out, they have a fitness person come up, right? So I should say, everybody outside, we're running a mile. <laughs> but I won't, so don't. It's okay. But uh, anyway, so I'm glad to be here. And what I want to do is just take this opportunity to talk to you guys about my story, how I got started in fitness, how it became a love for me, and how I ended up actually now as a personal trainer and a coach at a CrossFit gym. Um, but before I do that, I want to ask some questions of you guys to be thinking about right now while I'm speaking. And then at the end, I want to open it up for questions. So the first question that I have for you guys is how many of you, and please use the sound of applause when you were younger or even now, participated in a sport, any sport? Any of y'all? That is really good to hear. That is really good to hear. And then how many of you at this time even like to keep up with sports? Do you ever watch football on TV, baseball? All right. Are, are the Cubs going to do it this year? Yeah. yeah. I'm going to start Woodstock. So... But how about, how about any of you guys out here? Here's my, other, here's my last question for you to think about. How many of you did not like sports or did not want to have anything to do with it? Is there any of you out there that don't like to do anything fitness-related? <laughs> I think some of you are answering both questions. Well, and as I think about being when I was younger, going through school and participating in PE, and I don't know if you guys had the same experience as I did, but the PE teacher would tell me things like, don't worry, you don't have to work, you don't have to do whatever activity we're doing. So instead of me participating in whatever game that they were playing, or if they were playing baseball, basketball, whatever, I was always separated from the group of students. And really, even at that time, I, I didn't want to say anything like, oh, no, please, let me pr play the game. I mean, we're all growing up, and we were all feeling awkward. Nobody wanted to do something stupid in front of somebody else or look like a fool. So I was just fine sitting on the sidelines. But unfortunately, that was already sending me a message, and maybe unconsciously, but that was sending me a message that if I wanted to be separated from my peers and I didn't want to participate in something, I could. And that's not a good thing. It's really not. And unfortunately, it also was teaching me that the teachers weren't equipped or prepared to teach somebody who was blind. I went to a public school, so I didn't, I didn't attend a school for the blind. So the teachers that I had weren't equipped to say, here's the modifications that we can make because it's important for you to be part of this activity. And so I think that as we grow up, and all of a sudden, little things are being done for us to stay on the sidelines and to not make us get out of our comfort zone. We get comfortable there. And so we don't want to be pushed outside. We don't want to make those things happen for ourselves. So it's easy to slump into that. And I think that looking at sports and recreation and fitness of any kind is a great example of why blind people should be involved. Because we're always being told you can't. And that's another small message that we're receiving from a young age all the way up is you can't do this. And some people just accept that and say, okay, I can't. And so they use that as an excuse. And what was real exciting for me was I found out that I can, and it didn't come easy. And so I want to tell you about how it happened. 
I was working at the Iowa Department for the Blind, and I was the head of their wellness committee. Well, there was a couple problems with that. I myself wasn't well. I was not healthy. I was overweight. I was not active, but yet I was supposed to encourage our staff to be active and encourage them to make healthful choices in things that they ate or maybe activity in their lives. And I thought to myself, how can I really encourage somebody else to do that when I myself wasn't doing it? So I knew that first and foremost, I needed to be that example for everybody else. And so another person that was on the committee with me, his name was Randy Landgreeve, and he was the head of the library, and he said to me, I, I'm, I'm doing CrossFit. Do you want to join me? And I said, sure. And I tell you what, I had no idea what I was getting involved in. I had no clue. And I said, sure. And he said, you know what, we're going to meet at the lunch hour down in the gym. IDB has a gym in their basement. Most of you probably already know that. And so we went down there, and we started to do these workouts. And after the first week, I couldn't move. And I thought, this is crazy. This is just ridiculous. And what CrossFit is, just to give you guys kind of an example, just to kind of give you an understanding of what it is, is it's a mixture of gymnastics, weightlifting, and cardio. So during a workout, we might be doing weightlifting as well as pull-ups, which is a gymnastics movement. A few weeks ago, I just received a certification in um, gymnastics. And all that is is basically moving your body through space and having that spatial awareness of your body. And so he and I started doing these uh, workouts in the gym, and a few other of our staff members joined us. And after about two or three weeks, I decided that, you know what, I could probably receive the same level of fitness on my own by walking on the treadmill. And in the back of my mind, I knew that wasn't true because I knew I wouldn't stick with it. It's boring. If you walk on the treadmill after about a half an hour, you're just like, please let this be over. It's awful. So... So I kept on pushing on, and I kept saying to myself, okay, I'm going to give it one more week. I'm going to give it one more day. I'm just going to give it a little bit more. And then I started seeing really cool things happen. I started to see myself being able to do things I never thought possible. I was doing handstands. I was jumping on boxes that were 20 inches tall or 24 inches tall. I was doing pull-ups. I was doing all these things that I never thought possible. I didn't even know that people did that stuff. So it was really cool for me to see myself get stronger. And it was neat for me to, for me to see myself also uh, be able to participate with my peers in an activity. And little to no modifications had to be made. I could do anything that they could do. And so that was very exciting for me. And then all of a sudden, I had like this epiphany. And I thought, why don't I get certified to teach this? I'm excited about it. I want to spread that to the next person who comes along, whether they be somebody who's blind or not. And I want to give them the experience that I was having. And so I did that. And I wanted to do it actually right where CrossFit started, which was in California. So I flew to California, and I received that certification three years ago. And uh, it, was, it was incredible. And I came back to Iowa, and I was teaching classes to our staff at IDB down in the basement. And then uh, about a year or so after that, I moved to Fort Worth, Texas. My husband, Cody, was doing his PhD work in Fort Worth, and so we had moved down there. And I started to work at the Lighthouse for the Blind of Fort Worth as their uh, wellness director. 
So then I started to do the same thing for their community down there was to reach out and to provide training in exercise, uh, sports, whatever they wanted. They had a beat baseball team down there that wanted to do some strength and conditioning, and I was certainly willing to do that for them. Um, I also participated with a CrossFit gym in the area, and that was real exciting. And then uh, my husband then received a position at Drake University teaching, and so it moved us back to Iowa. So this is our first winter back here, and I tell you, this one was cold. See, yeah. No, no, it was bad. I know, right? You'd think I would be like, okay, we're back in Iowa and I can handle the weather. I really can't. We live in a loft in the East Village, so I don't shovel anything. <laughs> so anyway, so coming back here to Iowa, I started, I started to become involved in a, in a gym actually right here on Merle Hay Road. It's called CrossFit Merle Hay. And, um, and then after about, oh, a month or so, I received a call from a CrossFit gym downtown Iowa, and, or downtown Des Moines, called CrossFit Max Oxygen, and they said, we need coaches. And I was like, wow, you're calling me? You need a coach? Are you, are you kidding me? Like, this is my dream come true. This is exciting. So I went there, and actually now I'm a member of both gyms, and I do some personal training at Max Oxygen. The clients that I work with right now prefer that location. It's easy for them to get to. Uh, they work downtown, so it's just a great location. I also offer... Uh, personal training at the Merle Hay location as well. Um, I look forward to do more certifications and to do continuing education in that area. Um, and what's really exciting is I hope to make that my full-time vocation. I also work for Nationwide Insurance during the day, and I get to do my fitness stuff at night. So um, I want to know from you guys the questions I asked you at the beginning to think about. I want to know what questions you have for me. I talked to you about the sports that you guys participated in. What did you do? What are the things that you guys did growing up or even now? I have a question, Bettina. Um, when you're working and doing personal training with an individual, how do you monitor each individual for proper form? We, when I actually work with a client, it's very hands-on. So I am going to look at their body in each position that it should be in. For example, if, if I'm working on a squat with somebody, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk to them about what is our checklist. So I'm going to tell them these are the things that you have to do. And I'm going to say your weight needs to be in your heels. When you squat down, your knees go out over your toes and you keep your chest proud like a lion. I love animals. So I bring animals and everything. And so um, as they're doing that movement, I'm going to feel their body and make tweaks as they do it. I'm also going to be in the position, and I'm going to perform the movement. So if the client happens to be blind, then they can come and look at me. And they can look at where my body is. They can look at how uh, my back should look. My shoulders should be pushed together. They should be, you know, my chest is up. My heels are down. All these kinds of things so they can actually see it. So I'll hold that position for them to feel it, and then I'll ask my client, okay, perform that same thing for me. And then I'm going to feel their body to make sure that it looks the way it should, that they're not going to receive any injury because the form is incorrect, especially if you're doing anything with any type of weight. And so um, I actually won't even let a client start using weight until I feel like they have good form to perform the movement.
If you guys are sleeping, we can go out and run. I wanted to say something. You know, to, to that question, I know it, it's not just a blind thing that you check out other people's bodies, you know, by... <laughs> you know what I mean. This talk's gone south. You guys, it, it's them who have gone south. It's not me. <laughs> and And... Because when I take yoga or do anything, there are instructors who check your position. And they, they feel where your back is and what you're doing and da-da-da-da-da. So, and, and they'll ask you to check their body out. And I used to do it with the body pump and that kind of thing, too. So it's not just a blindness thing. Um, it, not that that matters, because that, that is a definitely an appropriate way to do it. Absolutely. And I have actually also, before leaving for Fort Worth, Texas, I had actually worked with some schools in the area that had blind students where they were receiving the same kind of treatment I did by the teachers where you weren't participating because they didn't know what to do. So we were able to go in and work with them and show those teachers how to um, get those students involved meaningfully with everyone else and to become part of what everybody else was doing. And then... um, the students hated it, by the way. They, would, they really would prefer not to have done it at all, but, but it's definitely a good thing. And, and I also want to tell people that here in the area, um, if you know of any blind students that are attending school right now and they are in the public school system and they just aren't sure how to participate in their PE or if there's a sport that has captured their interest but they just don't know how to become involved in that, please let me know because I would love to help them figure out modifications that they can make so that they can be a part of that, especially with their peers growing up. It's very important for them to be surrounded by the peers that they have in school and not to feel alienated and on the sideline and not being able to do what everybody else is doing. Madam President? Yes. Um, This is Norma Bogey. I have a question for Bettina. Mm -hmm. Um, Will you um, uh, train like a couple or a small group, and are you available on a weekend? Um, I will, actually, yes. I'm actually thinking of putting together a class on a Saturday afternoon that would just meet once a week, and it would be a small group of people, and we would go through body move, body weight exercises. Um, we definitely take injuries into consideration, so if anybody has anything, like I work with someone right now that says that they had a knee replacement so they can't do lunges or squats or any jump on anything. So we definitely take everybody into consideration um, when I program for them. But I am definitely willing to have a small group of people meet at the gym downtown because other classes aren't happening at that time over the weekend, so it's nice. We'd have a nice, quiet place to be. Great. Uh, and a follow-up, would we have to be a, a member, paid member of that gym in addition to your fee? No, you just pay me. Oh, yep. great. Actually, what happens is you pay the gym, and then the gym pays me because they, they get some of that for us using the facility, right. which is fair. Um, but you don't have to pay a fee to be a part of the gym and then 
pay me on top of that, no. Oh, okay, great. That's a, that's a good thing. Thank yeah. you very much. Yes. Um, this mic, I I'm standing next to it. Oh. I didn't touch it, though. It no. squeaked at me. No, that's okay. I just... It yelled. All right. Oh, there we go. Move it up. You, you mentioned, um, you know, you were asking us about sports and, you know, how what we did. And, and then, you know, I, and I'd be really interested in getting your your thoughts on this. When I was a kid, uh, my <clears throat> my dad played ball. You know, it was, like, it was probably a semi-pro league, but back in those days. It, anyway, um, he instilled that into me from the time I was little. And, and uh, when I, I, w- I did go to a school for the blind, and so when I was about 13, beat ball came along. And I still will never forget the day that I was able to call Dad and say, hey, we had practice tonight. And um, so, you know, and I've just heard all these horror stories about, you know, when you were talking about kids sitting on the sidelines. I can't, I, I, I can't imagine that, especially as kids get a little older and the parents get competitive and anything, that, that you would convince a group of 6th, 7th graders or whatever to that PE class was going to be beat ball and it was going to be that for the entire unit you know it might be a one day oh you know let's let them see what this is like but that wouldn't be enough for me if I saw the other kids playing ball out on the field and so you know that was a big deal to me and I, what do you what are your thoughts about whether whether it's beat ball or basketball you know we had tickers on the hoops at Vinton and so we had some I'm sure the form looked terrible but man did we have fun um you know how yeah how, how do you suggest that those can be incorporated into the schools well, I think that's really a good question because in a school that is going to be difficult. But um, I would say get your kid, find kids in the area that are blind as well or want to be on a beat baseball team and form your league. Get a team that, that gets together. It may not be in the schoolyard. It might not be part of your PE day, but it, they are still part of a team. And they're still... Uh, they get to go home at the end of the day and talk to their siblings about their practice and what they did, just like the siblings get to talk about what their practice was like. And when I work in Des Moines, it wouldn't work in Fort Madison where I grew up where there were two, a grand total of two of us that were even, you know, they're remotely the same age. I'm not trying to argue. I'm no, no, I know you're not. A, you know, but maybe you could get, uh, <laughs> maybe it wouldn't have to be just blind kids on the team. Maybe it could be a, a combination of blind and sighted. Um, you know, maybe some sighted kids would say, yeah, I want to be part of this team, too, because, you know, my friend so-and-so who's blind, they, get, they, they don't get a play, you know, and so I want them to play, too, so I'm going to go ahead and join their beat baseball team. Or, like you said, put tickers on the uh, hoops and have a basketball tournament or something. But there are ways to do it. I think you just have to become creative in how to do it. But it was hard always, you know, being able to listen to other people talk about their experience. Well, I went, you know, I went to soccer practice and it was after school because there was no team at school. Um, so it was after school. It was not part of the school system. It was something completely different. And they would come home and they would talk about that. And so maybe you need to find a sport that the blind person is, one, interested in. It has to be an interest of yours. Otherwise, it won't work at all. Uh, but maybe find a sport like Lisa was talking about ballroom dancing. Um, maybe it's gymnastics, maybe it's, you know, CrossFit like I do. Um, so maybe it doesn't have to be just our regular, we always think of the regular things, baseball, basketball, soccer, softball. I mean, we always think of those things as the only sports out there, and there's really so much more. Um, a blind person could definitely be on a rowing team, and that's very difficult. 
but uh, just an amazing thing. So first of all, find the interest and then pursue it. And if you think that, you know, hey, I can't do this or, or, you know, a ball is involved, so we don't want Jimmy to get hurt because, you know, he might get hit with a ball. Well, guess what? I've been hit with tons of balls. And it's just life. So figure it out. Get out there and do it. He's a philosopher, ladies and gentlemen. So, uh, in all seriousness, in all seriousness, so I really do have sense. a question that I think a lot of people would want to ask. Um, I don't think you're... And I know something... <coughs> Mike? You need a mic, Bubba. I do? Yeah. Yes. We're streaming. Oh. We have a live stream going on all over the world, Cody. So I just need to come forward then? We can do without. Okay, is that better? Yes. Yeah. My voice used to carry so much better. Um, so my question is, um, I think a lot of blind people who would be really interested in working out are very intimidated by the fact that they would need to work out in a group setting. So what would you say to a person who really did want to work out and even get to a point of doing it in a group setting? What would one do to increase one's confidence in that direction? That's a really good question. And that's why I do offer a lot of personal training because of that feeling that blind people have, uh, feeling insecure. Um, And you know, the funny thing is actually when I'm in a gym setting with people around who are sighted, they have the same insecurity when they're first starting. So that's not just going to be unique to somebody who's blind. But it does take, and I I know this from firsthand, that it does take a little bit longer to learn the movements uh, just because when I was learning them, I didn't understand what I should do. I didn't understand how my body should move. And it took lots of practice and repetition and repetition and repetition. And finally, one day I got it. And that's exactly what I do with my clients is we just continue to repeat it and repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. And I give them things to take home with them so that they can continue to practice on their own time at home. And then when they come back, we go ahead and go over that again. And then we might add a new thing when I feel like they're comfortable. But one of the things I do tell them is please give it time and be patient. And I'm I'm willing to work with you as long as it takes. So we do one-on-one sessions for quite a while. And then if they want to, if they say to me, okay, now I want to be part of the class setting at the gym, then that's totally fine. You can transition over to the class setting. Some people don't want that. They just want to continue with the personal training, and that's fine too. So I really try to check out and see what they want to do and then go with that. It does. And, Bettina, I think you brought up an important point, and that's that many people don't want to be in a group to begin with. And 
if you have somebody that's always been heavy all their life and they've been called fatty and teased about their weight and so on, they're going to feel just as insecure about their body as other people are. So. Oh, absolutely. I agree 100% with you. I, I want to address that, too. And, you know, having done step aerobics and Y-pump and some other things, I, I've done it with a personal trainer um, to work with me on, on body pump at the YMCA. And I've also done it on my own, learning how to do step aerobics, um, maybe doing taekwondo and some other things. And I know one thing I had to do is, you know, I didn't know what they were doing, and I'd go to somebody next to me, and I'd say, what are they doing? <laughs> and she'd say, well, they're going up, down, da-da-da-da. And, and eventually, you know, I, I'd find the instructor afterward, and I'd say, what did you do when you said this or this? And, and they would show me. And I think we also have to learn not to be afraid to ask those questions Exactly, and, and I think if we're not there, it, that won't happen. That's exactly right. And a lot of times when we're in class and the instructor says something and, and wants us to do something I don't understand, I always say, use your words. <laughs> so, And we keep it lighthearted, too, because I don't want to make them feel bad or, or feel like, oh, shoot, I messed up again. Yeah. So we keep it lighthearted. And, and as I'm part of the group, that's just something that just becomes natural. To them, and they just start explaining everything they're doing. And a lot of them have actually walked away with the explanations that I have given because they really like the description and the detail that I put into it. And it really helps other athletes. I've had uh, other athletes from the gym come up and say, you know, I really liked that because it made me understand exactly what I should be feeling and, and what my body should look like in this particular position. Anybody else? Any other questions? I love it. I was just glad to hear that you're willing to adapt when you said this is me. Absolutely, and what my goal is to, with the person I'm working with that has the knee replacement, and they've actually told me after the, the course of a few weeks, they say, you know, I feel like it's actually getting stronger. And it's because we're working on those muscles around it, and we're going to make it stronger. And so then, you know, we never push it at first. And I tell them, you know, we're not going to go outside that comfort zone, you know, especially if you're feeling pain. We don't want that pain. We want the good pain, which means that you feel like you've worked and your muscles have been stretched and those fibers have been torn. But what we don't want to do is, is have anybody walk away with an injury and then say, I don't want to come back again. Exactly. Well, guys, is that it? Does anybody have any last questions? Contact info. Contact info. Um, let me go ahead and give you my email address. Do you have any business cards? I do not. Well, you're going to have to get I some to a girl. I should, and I thought about that yesterday. That, well, you'll, you'll do it. And, I'll do you know, it. Come to an ICUB meeting, and you know we can put you out on our state website and put you in our newsletter too. thank you thank maybe you. you can write up a little something about what you're doing absolutely but let me provide you guys with my email address it's java j a v a junkie j u n k y it's a true story too number eight at msn.com java junkie eight at msn.com and feel free to email me with questions or if you're interested in uh, starting a group 
Um, and then at that time, we can discuss any other details that we need to, location and pricing, things like that. Thank you so much for having me today. Thank you. Thank you very much, Bettina. This has been, this has been so good to have Bettina here. Last year, junkie, it's kind of like drink too much coffee. Um, last year we had Carrie and Lori, and I, I, I do have their, I do have some, um, I, I know they're still doing one touch too. So, I mean, beside what Tuna's doing, um, we have them out there as well, and I have some business cards for them. And Lisa is a dancer. Lisa, you you have business cards or anything that you'd like to? Everything runs through the Des Moines Ballroom. And so if people wanted to... Very good. Very good. Maybe someday you're going to have to come up here and do a little dance talk with us. <laughs> so ends. And I, I have these some, some business cards. I know we've got a beat baseball team here in central Iowa. And what we're, we're talking about is trying to get some kids to go skiing with out in Deadwood next uh, January with Nebraska. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna. We're go- We want. I was talking to somebody in Nebraska about going downhill skiing and snow. You know, cross country downhill and snowshoeing, out in Deadwood, Nebraska, and they take a bus out, and it, it's not that very expensive. And we we're thinking that, you know, we could accompany some of these transition age kids and go out there with them, and 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 really have a ball. So you know, get in shape if you want to go, because those kids are, you know. They're slugs, and we gotta we gotta show them up. <laughs> so anyway, oh I know, but they're I'm saying that affectionately. <laughs> I, I refer to myself as a lazy slug. Um, so I have some uh, business cards for Lori Trujillo here. If you wanted to know more about. Beat baseball or one touch, and what they're doing as well. So that ends our day, at least this part of it. Now it's time to go get dolled up and do whatever you got to do and go to a, a banquet, which is upstairs in Bennigan's. Yeah, it's upstairs in Bennigan's. We've got, I know we've got 60 people coming tonight. There's a social hour, a cash bar from 6 to 7, and then dinner, and we have some awards tonight and some presentations and an auction. Yes. And we also um, are selling 50-50 raffle tickets, so Becky will come and fleece your pocketbook. So that's it for today. I hope everybody enjoyed it. Oh, tomorrow morning we're starting at 8.30 with our memorial service. There's no coffee or rolls or anything down here tomorrow morning, by the way. So, and then we'll have our business meeting.
All right. Ladies and gentlemen here, before we conclude our uh, coverage for today, we're going to have an interview here with uh, Mike Honig. He's uh, been involved in iCub for a long time. He's going to talk with us about Braille and uh, his Brailler Award. What's that? Oh, right here, this one. You find it, Mike? All right. Can I thrust a mic in your hand? Sure. All right, it's right here. I'm going to grab your arm here. Are we live? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're still on here. I turned the PA system off. Let me, I think there's a switch on your mic there. Did you find it? There we go. There you How's got it. That? You got it. There's a headset there right in front of you. Oh, do I need to wear that? Oh, you can. It's up to you. Find it. Mm-hmm. Right to the left of the oh, mixer. Here. Oh, there is a headset. Right there. Right here. Feel it? Yep. Just a minute here. We got soda bottle. And... Yeah, there you got it. Find it. This one on the floor, yeah. All right. Okay. Well, I... Oh. I don't. You know what? I think I'm not going to use it if that's all right with you. Not a problem. Some people like hearing themselves. Other people don't. No, I think this is just great the way it is. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, Mike, you were talking today, either this morning or this afternoon. I can't remember. But uh, you were talking to us about your uh, Brailler Award. Sure. What... Uh, well, first of all, why don't you go ahead and tell the listeners out there who Mike is and what, or what, uh, you know, how long have you been in iCub and have you been visually impaired since birth or? Yep. Um, my name is Mike Honick. I have uh, Lieber's congenital amaurosis and I have been blind since birth. I um, have a little light perception. Um, went to school at the Iowa Braille and Sight Saving School and I graduated in 80. And um, in the spring of 1980, our the local uh, chapter of the council had a uh, dinner, or I believe it was for all of us uh, graduates, and encouraged us to consider getting involved in I- what was at that time called the Iowa Council of the Blind. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did that, and I think went to my first convention in about... 84, I believe it was. It was in Las Vegas. That was a great way to get my ACB career underway. That was at the National Convention in Las Vegas. So I've been oh. I've been in, in ACB ever since. Yeah, well, that's that's great. And uh, I uh, I appreciate you sitting on the nominating committee yesterday. Well, yeah, that was... That was um, we always, you know, we're a fairly small affiliate, and we all have to figure out things to do. I served as president for a while, I think two terms, and oh, wow. kind of set after um, I, I served uh, six years on the Commission for the Blind Board. Oh, wow. And um, once I was um, elected to that position, um, decided that it was probably not the best thing to stay as president as, of the affiliate, So, um, but have stayed on the board ever since. And... Uh, that's you know, and we all need to figure out things that ways we can serve. And I was invited, actually, to, Tyler, you nominated me, I think, to serve on the committee last night. So, um, and one of the fun things we did about on that committee was to um, 
to put your name in a nomination. And for those of you that may not have <clears throat> been listening earlier this afternoon, uh, Tyler's on our board now. And we're really happy. I think you might be the youngest person to ever uh, be elected to the board. So. Oh, really? I think so. <laughs> I'd have to get, go back to the archives to find that out. But I think it may be true. I come history. Yeah. <laughs> wow, we have two things. We have two things to to uh, to write down for this convention, the streaming and that Tyler's the youngest member on the board. I think that very well might be true. <laughs> oh, boy. So talk to us about, uh, you have a Brailler Award that uh, at one time I received. Yeah, that was uh, many years ago. I remember coming over in a snowstorm to Trainer, Iowa to give a... <laughs> oh, that was a long time ago. That was a long time ago. Um, well, my mother um, passed away in 1997, and we decided as a family, I have two sisters, and we were trying to figure out how we could uh, pay tribute to her. And one of the ways that we decided to do that was to establish a Braille Writer Award in her name, which is Marie Honick. And so we have, um, it's open to any students in grades uh, K-12. Mm-hmm. Uh, we give it out every year in the spring. Um, the, the process is that, that we said, well, let me back up. We have a committee. There are uh, five people on the committee. It's, um, it's a combination of... Uh, people that we've appointed th- through the family, and then um, also ICUB members. Mm-hmm. Um, we're supposed to only have them serve six years, but several. One of our members um, is so de- dedicated and um, getting out to convention, um, where we usually give the award away, is not such an easy thing for her to do. But she has so much to contribute to our committee, and is and uh, so she. We've uh, she's been on the committee I think a little longer than that now as as a couple of our teachers because they really they know what it is that we're looking for and um, help us really get the word out um, to our to teachers around the state. So our committee reviews the uh, nominations and then we award the the brailler. Um, the um, I usually send out a, an email to our state. Uh, teacher of the visually impaired coordinator, and then she helps. Dist- and she, who's also on our committee, actually, two of the regional coordinators are on our committee now, which is really good because they can really get buy-in. Um, some of you may be familiar with the Braille Challenge, which um, is a series of tests and so forth that exercises that students um, have to do or can choose to do. To it's, it's a competition related to Braille literacy. Um, and so we advertise it at the Braille Challenge, um, and <clears throat> and then we review the nominations, or the, I'm sorry, the applications. And uh, in the ideal scenario, we award the Brailler at the state convention during during our luncheon. Uh, we weren't able to do that this year because the student was away um, at a what's called the Spring Institute at the School for the Blind campus in Vinton. Oh. Um, so we awarded her the Braille Writer um, a week ago Friday at a little ceremony at her school. Similar to what we did. I think, Tyler, you had a conflict, too. Um, yeah. I you weren't able to come to, to convention, I think, because we, we, I remember we came to your classroom. Right, right. Actually, um, yeah, I remember that. And, you know, I got to thinking about that this afternoon. It was actually first grade. Was it? I got the award. And... Uh, 
Mrs. Hare was my teacher. I, I remember, remember that. I remember Mrs. Hare. And she uh, she actually just retired here when I graduated. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. So she's uh, she's enjoying life now. I'll bet. Did she <laughs> did she move somewhere south? You know, I don't know. I, I uh, I'd be curious to know. There's uh, there's quite a few people there that I could ask. I'm sure you could. <laughs> So, uh, have you ever thought about going and uh, trying, you know, trying this at uh, like a na- at the national level of any sort? Or well, we're trying to figure. You know, we're trying to think about a lot of different things at the Perkins Brailler um, Award because the reality is that that fewer and fewer students are. You know, I mean, I think they're still learning on the Perkins, but oftentimes, you know, then they want to go on and use some technology and. Um, as as do us we as adults, and so it's um, over the course of time we've thought about you know should we put that money into a scholarship or should we put it between like if kids want to go to camp or or should we um, maybe only give an award every two or three years and award something nicer? Um, we keep getting feedback that from the itinerant teachers that there's an interest in in having the brailler. Now I will say. Um, that the, the number of applications has been dwindling. I, I have a couple of good friends in the Missouri Council and just kind of sent, I know they have some sort of an essay contest in which they award, I don't remember if it's prizes or, or cash or, or equipment or whatever. And so I, I just kind of broached the conversation about would you be interested in collaborating on the Brailler Award so it could be a bi-state thing. Um, but we didn't go beyond, yeah, that might be interesting. I mean, you know, it wasn't, it's not one of those things that I've actively pursued further, but just, you know, I do want as many kids to be able to have access. Um, we've tried to keep it within Iowa, but at some point we may have to look to either expand the, the outreach of the award or we may have to, um, uh, you know, use the funds for other things. But as long as the teachers are telling me that Perkins are useful... Um, for students, and we'll keep doing it. Uh, this year, the the student who won it, uh, as I said, we did a little ceremony in her classroom, and it was um, everybody else was eating donuts, and they had juice and donuts in the room. You know, the parent, the <coughs> mother had brought in um, treats, and so Kayla had the choice of uh, eating donuts and having juice or typing on the braille writer, and she kept typing on the braille. She kept writing on the brailler. So I thought that was pretty cool. So I figured that that girl's going to get a lot of use out of that Perkins. Oh, absolutely. Well, that's that's great because you know, I tell you, Mike, I I use I still use my Perkins today, and you know I have a, ever since I got that I have a special place for it. I have a bookshelf in my uh, in my room that I have, and uh, back home in. Mm-hmm. Council Bluffs, and I always put that brailler there, and every time I use it, I think of that little ceremony that we had at the school. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, and you wrote the nicest letter, too, and after you graduated, just thanking you know me for the brailler and, and our family, and then just kind of for staying in touch. You know, that's one of the things that, one of the things that I had hoped would happen more frequently, and maybe um, I would just invite anybody, and Tyler or any of our listeners, to give us some ideas for how we can link the winners back to ICUB on a long-term basis. Mm -hmm. Because I think, uh, I'm just kind of doing a mental inventory here of all, we've had this award for close to 20 years. I think this might be number 
18 that we've given away now. Oh, my and, gosh. Yeah, and I think, Tyler, you are the only student that I can remember um, that has has really continued the link to iCub. And, you know, it's it was been, it's been fun just because we've sort of maintained contact over the years as you, you know, as your career advanced and everything. But that's something that, that I, when we decided to partner um, with, our family decided to partner with iCub, that was uh, the hope is that we would keep those links going between um, adult blind and students. So any, any ideas for making that happen would be welcomed. Well, you know, uh, <clears throat> I'm hoping that the, uh, the, you know, the listeners can uh, maybe help us out too in a, in a sense, you know, maybe there's some, some uh, other links out there that, uh, that we don't know about. And so, you know, maybe they can, maybe they can kind of help us and, and other affiliates listening might, be able to voice some ideas yeah. with iCub. I think that that would just be an excellent, excellent idea. We One of our um, our st- strong supporters of the award has often suggested to me that we bring all the award recipients together for a reunion. Oh. And that would be really a challenge at this point to try to figure out where everybody is. But, you know, having something like that happen would be fun. Or we've even, you know, we don't have a lot of events in our affiliate right now that are geared to to young people and right. so you know possibly looking at doing you know events like that and then bringing them inviting them to come in just for you know to to get to know you a little bit might might be a way to to do right. that and i, and I do I, I think that that would be a, such a great idea as far as uh, the reunion that would be great i mean would that be fun yeah you know there's there's uh would we have it someplace like it would we have it someplace like at Vinton then, or? Oh, we could, or we could even have it. I'd like to see us have it in connection with the convention. Yes. So they could, you know, like if we came in and had a pizza party on Friday night or something like that, and or a, I don't know what, some kind of an event, audio described movie or something, you know, to get, um, because the idea would be maybe if they came, maybe they would stay over and take in part of our convention. Oh, yeah. And that would be great, because, you know, some of these... Uh, younger folks or even some of the people that we have now in iCub i'd i'd like to see a lot uh of involvement you know starting now with uh acb radio yep i mean uh do you think you'd be interested in doing something with that well i have to give it some thought i'm i'm uh just having working through some a few health challenges and so forth but once we'll we'll just kind of uh you know see how life goes but i definitely would um would give it some consideration and and uh if not, there are so many people. One of the things that's really been exciting about convention this year is we've got a lot of new people um, that are really jumping in. And yeah. um, so I I think if that's a goal that, you know, and that's one of the things that I think will be helpful, kind of getting away from the brailler for a minute, but getting you on the board is that you can uh, share some of those ideas with us. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, I... Uh, I look forward to uh you know to working with everybody on uh on different things on uh you know whatever we can whether it be advertising the Brailler award or or whatever and uh we hopefully get some uh accomplishment accomplishments you know uh goals accomplished I should say absolutely <laughs> so well hey uh I know I'm taking up quite a bit of time here and i know that you probably got a banquet speech yeah i've got to go finish it up actually i've got a couple (laughs) notes that my braille my braille uh, note died here a couple hours ago the 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 power did so i need to go up and 
and get a few things jotted down for that and put, see if I can put a tie on here. No, I, I truly do know how to do that. Sure. So, <laughs> um, but uh, it's been great talking to you and to people out there and across the country and hopefully around the world that have tuned in on ACB Radio. So oh, uh, yeah. thank you for the opportunity to talk about the Brailler and congratulations again on being elected to the board. Hey, thanks. I appreciate that, Mike. All right. Well, here's... Mike, coming back your way. All righty. Got go. it. Thank you. Yes, sir. Well, hey, ladies and gentlemen, this is going to conclude our coverage for the 2016 Iowa Council of the United Blind for April 23rd. We'll be back here tomorrow starting at uh, 8.15 for the 8.30 uh, memorial service and other uh, occasions that we have here at the convention. So until then... I'm Tyler Uronic. Good night from Des Moines.